My attitude was, you know, go out there and have a good time. I, I got serious when I got on the ice, but I think it took right up until game time before I really got serious about what was going on up there. This, you know, life is, is pretty short, and if you can't have a good time along the way, you're going to miss some things. And uh, I made sure, and, and I have made sure, and I will make sure that I'm going to have a good time for the rest of my life. Nystrom, Nystrom's really getting some good right hands in. Gillies is down with Sandstrom. Somebody better help Sandstrom. Everyone must be held accountable for their actions. You cannot see your star carried out in a stretcher and do nothing about it. Oh my, did Mick plant one on C-card. Wow. You can't put a bounty on a man's head. I just did. The spinning, spinning, who's he going to go after? The puck drop, the puck but just a minute, Al Arbor has won four Stanley Cups, so don't start telling Al Arbor what to do, you and John Davison. This is Coliseum Chronicles, the Penalty Box, your source for Islanders Enforcer Talk. Uh, welcome to episode 74, actual episode 96. And, um, you know, due to the unfortunate circumstances of uh, the passing of the legend Clark Gillies, uh, this is the Clark Gillies tribute episode. Uh, I know, you know, normally I sound upbeat and everything, and I'm always happy to do these episodes. Uh, this one... Uh, at least in the beginning, it's a little more somber. I don't want to go, hey, it's the Clark Gillies tribute episode. But uh, I, I think anyone that's listening right now, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Um, it's it's my little uh, tribute to Clark. I'm gonna, going to basically talk about what Clark meant to me as an Islanders fan. And uh, I was able to procure uh, four individuals to uh, to speak with me, give their thoughts uh, on Clark, personal thoughts, and um, thoughts also of being fans. And um, I think they were great. I also have a couple of sound bites that uh, I want to include in this. So, um, again, it, to me, it sounds weird saying I hope you enjoy the episode because of the reason for the episode is not an enjoyable thing, but. Um, I'm probably going to explain that over and over again, but again, I, th I think, I think you know what I mean. You know, it's a, it's a terrible topic, Clark's passing, but, uh, hopefully this uh, comes across more of a celebration. And I know there are a lot of laughs in this episode and, um, you know, the unfortunate reasoning behind it, but, um, uh, anyway, I'm, I've, I feel like I've already repeated myself a bunch of times, but again, I think everybody knows, uh, knows what I'm talking about. So, um, just a few things to start with, like I always do. Uh, if you're on social media, uh, this podcast has a social media presence, wh whether it's big or small is, uh, <laughs> uh, it's not big, but, um, if you're on Twitter, it's at Kali Sin Bin Pod. If you're on Facebook, facebook.com 
slash Coliseum Chronicles podcast and on Instagram, Coliseum underscore Chronicles underscore podcast. Um, as always, I'd like to point out if you're interested in Coliseum, uh, Coliseum Chronicles, easy for me to say, Coliseum Chronicles, the penalty box merchandise. Please scroll down slightly below the episode description of this very episode you are listening to, and you'll see a link to order merchandise there. And the reason why I still promote the merchandise, although it is a minuscule part of this operation here, is because of the logo. And of course, the logo was drawn by a local Long Island artist, Joe Marisich. You have definitely seen Joe Marisich's artwork if you're a Jets, Mets, or Islanders fan, or a fan of sports radio, as his tunes have been seen everywhere. And if you're interested in hiring Joe for any art project, you can reach Joe at GraphicsJoker on Twitter or at LoudEgg.com. A few other podcasts I would like to tell you about before we proceed with the Clark Gillies uh, celebration. The Fourth Line Voice, hosted by my buddy Darren up there in Saskatchewan. I don't know if he's officially in uh, Saskatoon proper anymore. I keep saying I have to find that out, and I keep forgetting. And Darren, I know you're listening, so maybe just uh, let me know exactly where you are on the map there so I can give your uh, your new town uh, the appropriate credit that it deserves now for hosting you and your wife and your show. Uh, Darren's latest episode uh, released today. Uh, I haven't listened to it yet, but it's a uh, Sunday solo episode. It's called Boogie Nights. Was Derek Bugard a top 20 fighter of all time? And I'm imagining that, well, I think I saw something in, on um, the Enforcer Appreciation page or one of the fight groups about this topic. So I'm going to guess that that's where this stems from. Or if, if it's not the topic that I saw, it definitely would stem from one of these groups. Darren gets a lot of his uh, Sunday material from the uh, Facebook group uh, groups that he's a member of. And wow, there's no shortage of material on those groups, that's for sure. Uh, Darren is a proud member of the Hockey Podcast Network. Two episodes a week. Uh, Wednesday is an interview episode and Sundays are as I dub them, the Sunday shit show. And that's usually when Darren rants a little bit or just has a solo episode uh, void of any sort of anger. So uh, I urge you to check out both episodes per week and also to check out his back catalog. Also, if you've ever watched the hockey fight on YouTube, chances are it was on the Fourth Line Voice YouTube channel. Uh, over 2,600 bouts currently on the fourth line voice youtube channel and i urge you also if you have not watched any fights on his channel go check those out too go down the rabbit hole if you're like me uh football's over uh buffalo bills unfortunate loss last week so um, i know there's four teams left um not a big deal to me none of them i don't love any of them i don't hate any of them and uh, so it's not really a, a Sunday football game. Plus, we have the uh, Islanders in the wild tonight. But, uh, you know, if uh, if you're not going to the game tonight, you don't really care about the football. Maybe this is a good day to go down the fourth line voice YouTube channel rabbit hole. Pretty much everyone that you might want to see go at it is on that uh, on that channel. The five for fighting podcast with Alec Coden Salen down in Florida. 
uh, Alex's latest episode, he breaks down the best enforcer that each team has ever had with his very special guest, none other than Darren from the Fourth Line Voice. So, um, pretty good episode. Very good episode with those two jokers on there. Um, I think uh, one was drinking one of those uh, fancy beers with the fruit in it. I don't know. That's uh, that's not anything I'm interested in. And uh, Darren, I think, was uh, popping some beers up there in Saskatchewan. So, uh, that was a good episode, though. Very entertaining. And um, I believe Alec is part of the six... Fuck. Uh, six pack. It's not the six pack network, but do me a favor. Check out five for fighting on Twitter. And it's right there in his bio. Um, and I will have this straightened out, Alec. I apologize, uh, for the next episode, but Alec recently joined up with a network as well. And, uh, I believe he's the hockey representation on there. So, uh, definitely check out the fourth line voice. Nope. Yeah, well, check out the Fourth Line Voice podcast. It's the numbers that are throwing me off. And also the Five for Fighting podcast. <clears throat> Excuse me. Also, Alec has a YouTube channel, and he's been focusing on a league that has uh, seemed to have a very nice uptick in fights this year. Now, that league generally is um, the league that you would think would promote the fighting a little bit more, but uh, I don't know. I don't know if they're woke there in the offices or whatever, but uh, they don't want to promote it. But I will tell you it's generally regarded as the AA league um, right below the American League. Again, um, they're a league that is uh, was originally named after one of the coasts, uh, but now they have teams all over the place. So um, I, I'm trying to be uh, evasive here for a reason. I don't want to uh, send up any signals, but Alec has been on top of that league all season. Tons of those fights on his YouTube channel. So definitely check that out. And also, if you're not a member already, please go to the Enforcer Appreciation page on Facebook. Sign up for that. And um you know, there's some fun and games on there. There's uh, a lot of player interaction on there. And also, once you're a member of that page, you will definitely get a preview of a lot of Darren's Sunday shit show episodes because there's a lot of shenanigans on there. But uh, but it's a pretty tight ship. But still, uh, you know, you can't control all the animals in the zoo. So uh, I'm sure you'll find that entertaining, uh, you know, at some level, I guess. But definitely check out. All of the stuff I told you to check out just now. Now, it brings us to the 2021-22 New York Islanders slash Bridgeport Islanders fight report. And since the last episode, we have one new entry. And that uh, that was last night. Uh, Bridgeport Islanders versus Hershey Bears. Eric Brown, with his second fight of the season, took on Eddie Whitco of Hershey. I did not see the fight. I do not know how it went, but that is the lone entry, the lone new entry uh, for the fight report this week. So no new entries on the New York Islanders end, but we had that one entry on the Bridgeport Islanders end. That brings me to um, the nuts and bolts of this episode, and that is the Clark Gillies tribute. Um I touched on it last week in uh, in my solo episode last week, just a little bit about what Clark Gillies meant to me as an Islanders fan. Now, I'm like many Islanders fans here, 
Um, Clark was always around. He was around the Coliseum. Um, he was around UBS. Uh, I, I mean, it, it's so funny. I, I think uh, Barclays is almost like a bad memory, but Clark's always around the team, and, and Clark always had time for the fans. Oh, God, I think of uh, Clark and Bob Nystrom, just how many selfies that they may have taken since selfies became a thing. Well, I guess it's not selfie. It's just a picture. If you're with more than one person, I don't I don't know the vernacular of these youngsters nowadays. But I think of a guy like like Clark Gillies and a guy like Bob Nystrom and how many photos they must have taken with fans over the years. It has to be thousands. And um you know, Clark always had time for the fans. I'm one of those fans that um, he has taken the time to talk with on multiple occasions. I don't really think Clark would remember me or, or um, uh, you know, I, I would just probably be just another face in the crowd, and that's fine. I don't think uh, we've ever had a conversation that would jump out at him. Um, well, except maybe the last time I happened to speak to him, Clark did a, a, an autograph signing a few months back. And, uh, I was, uh, I said to him, I said, you know, uh, you know, Clark, we have a mutual friend. And he said, who's that? And, and I'm sure Clark's heard that over the years from people on long Island, because if you think about how many business dealings Clark must've done with people over the years, he's probably heard that a million times, but I think I may have, uh, I may have, it may have been a first when I said, Oh, we have a mutual friend in Rod Peterson. And I'm going to get, to uh, just who Rod Peterson is. Of course, if you're listening in Western Canada, you know damn well who Rod Peterson is. But if you're uh, if you're a Long Island person, you may not know. But but uh, I'm going to get to who Rod Peterson is in a little bit. And uh, Clark looked at me and he said, "From Regina?" And I said, "Yep." And he goes, "Oh, how do you know him?" And then I went into the whole thing about how Rod and I became friends. And uh, so that's why I think I may have uh, I may have been the first person on Long Island to say to Clark Gillies that we have a mutual friend and that mutual friend was Rod Peterson. So that was kind of cool, but um, it was nice to be able to chat with Clark for about five, five, six minutes in a, in, in a, in a controlled environment. It, I was the only one there at the time. I didn't exactly go to the signing when it first started. So um, it was nice, you know, have a nice little chat with him. And um, I cherish those, those moments, you know, it was uh it was just an innocuous chat about the good old days and um, nothing in particular, but just when you get a chance to speak to one of your heroes, um, you know, it means something. And uh, and I'm grateful. I'm very grateful that uh, it was Lucky's in East Meadow, Lucky Sports Cards. They had um, uh, an autograph signing with, with Clark. Uh, they had had one with Bob Nystrom uh, a few months before that. So, um yeah, I mean, I, I can't sit here and wax poetic about any real personal experiences that I've had with Clark Gillies. Uh, I have had similar experiences, just like if you're listening and you're a fan. It's basically the same thing. I mean, like, what do you say? Like, every even even the casual fan knows who Clark Gillies is. He defines power forward. And I, I made fun of it last week because the new agers look at someone like Alex Ovechkin as a power forward. And, you know, back in the day when that, when that term first came about and it may have, may have someone had told me it originated uh, Harry Sinton first used the term when he was talking about Cam Neely. And I don't know for sure how true that is, but I mean, Cam Neely defines the term power forward as does Clark Gillies. And I think, 
you know, I think the if there was a textbook definition of power forward, it would be a guy who can do everything. But one of the key components would be that that guy can fight if need be. When you think of the term power forward, you think of Clark Gillies, um, you think of, of Cam Neely, Rick Tockett, you think of players like that. I don't think of Alex Ovechkin, and maybe in today's hockey, power forward has a different definition, but I think uh, Darren brought it up. In, in Ovechkin's career, he's had four fights. And and listen, this is not um, – I'm not killing Alexander Ovechkin here. He's one of the greatest players who's ever played the, who's ever played the game. And he's fortunate to have someone like Tom Wilson on the team, who I would say is a power forward uh, by the the definition that I know. I would say Tom Wilson is more of a power forward than Alexander Ovechkin. Um, but Clark Gillies defines the term power forward. And um, it's not often where you can say a phrase or a word and, and this, you can ask 20 people and the 20 people could possibly have the same answer. Clark Gillies, without a doubt, a power forward. And, you know, the obvious things jump out about Clark Gillies um, in terms of the fights. You know, everybody remembers the Schultz fight where he pretty much dismantled Schultz. And, you know, it was a statement fight against Dave Schultz. And then, of course, nobody will ever forget the O'Reilly fights in the playoffs. Uh, I mean, what, you know, these are legendary bouts. And then, for Islander fans, one that, of course, we're always going to take pride in, um, the Ed Hospitar fight at uh, Madison Square Garden. And it's nothing against Ed because I've met Ed once or twice, always a really, really good guy. But especially back then when I saw the fight, you know, and I'm, I'm an Islanders fan and I hate the Rangers and I, I don't I don't want to see Ed Hospitar get his jaw broken or anything like that, uh, you know, but uh, it was a big win for Clark. And I mean, those are the obvious ones, you know. I, I think O'Reilly, the O'Reilly fights are probably the the fights that come to mind, even for the casual fans. But you know, we, we remember the Schultz fight, where it was, like I said, it was a statement fight. I understanding up to the Flyers, and um, you know, the even more obvious things: the four Stanley Cups, um, the nineteen consecutive playoff series wins, and you know, to be honest with you, I don't think the Stanley Cups happen without Clark Gillies on this team. And if the Stanley Cups don't happen, the 19 consecutive playoff series wins don't happen. And and it's not that Clark was the only part of that. You could say the same thing. Those Cups and those playoff series wins don't happen if Potvin's not on the team or Trottier or Bossy or Billy Smith. These are all the key components. You know, you can even say Butch Goring. I mean, he's the final piece. John Tonelli, that's what makes... To me, anyway, and it's my opinion, and I know many people share it with me, that Islanders team is the greatest hockey team that has ever been assembled. It, they're a team. They were the perfect team. They could they could play the game however it needed to be played. And as a team, to me, they're the greatest team that has ever been assembled. And you can't take out a Clark Gillies you can't take out a Bob Nystrom. You can't take out a Brian Trottier, a Billy Smith, a Butch Goring, a Mike Bossy, a Dennis Potvin. That the entire identity of that team changes if you remove one piece, and Clark is a big piece of that. So that's why I, you know, I say it. He he's such a monster piece of that team, 
And um, and that's the easy stuff, you know, the the cups and the playoff wins and the fights and everything. Um, I'm I'm really happy that Clark eventually made it to the Hockey Hall of Fame. I felt it was long overdue, and and I think for those not not on the outside, or uh, <clears throat> for those on the outside, and for those people who are fans of other teams, I think a lot of times the contributions of players other than the Big Four. Bossy, Trottier, Potvin, and Billy Smith. I think a lot of times the contributions of anybody but those four guys gets overlooked by non-Islanders fans. And I know when Clark made it to the Hall of Fame, some people scoffed at it, but I think I, I think he definitely deserved it. I know I'm not alone in that thought. And I think I think what's more important is people in the hockey community felt that Clark Gillies was overdue to get into the Hall of Fame, and he was in. So whether I think he belongs or not is irrelevant. You know, it's, I always say it's what the players think or the people in the sport. So if someone in the sport thinks that Clark Gillies deserves to be in the Hall of Fame, it really doesn't matter what I think. Now, of course, I agree, and I do think he deserves to be in there. But some people didn't, and that's fine. But you're always going to get the naysayers. Um, but it was a great moment. It was a great moment for Islanders fans when Clark made it into the Hall of Fame. You know, as far as the physical part of Clark's game, obviously, uh, if you look at the back of Clark's hockey card, the, the one thing that stands out, well, maybe there's two things. One are his offensive numbers that I don't think he ever gets enough credit for. I mean, uh, I, I, you play with, with Bossy and Trottier. Again, what a complete line there. You, you just look at that line. Bossy, Trottier, Gillies. You have Trottier, arguably, and I, and actually, no, it's not arguable. Brian Trottier, one of the best all-around players to ever play this game, could do absolutely everything. You have Mike Bossy, the best pure goal scorer to ever play this game. And then on the other side, you have Clark Gillies, the guy who could do everything, but but made sure that those two guys didn't get taken advantage of. I I, I would find it hard-pressed to come up with a with a more complete line. Than that. Now, I'm not saying they're the best line. There, are, there have been plenty of good lines in the history of the National Hockey League. So I'm not saying they're the best line. But when you look at the components of that line, they're not missing anything. They're not missing a damn thing on that line. So that may be the most complete line that has ever skated in the NHL. Um, the other, but, but like I said, I think a lot of times the legend of Clark Gillies, it's almost like the legend of Paul Bunyan. You just kind of get lost in the whole, how tough he was thing, but look at his offensive numbers. You don't get into the hall of fame just by being tough. And Clark put up some pretty amazing numbers too. But again, I think it gets lost sometimes when you, when you look at the entirety of that Islander team. But the thing that really jumps out when you look at the back of Clark Gillies hockey cart is that he never hit triple digits in penalty minutes. The most that he ever had in the season was 99 penalty minutes. And, um, you know, the whole thing with Clark Gillies was don't wake him up. Don't wake him up. Uh, Clark Gillies has the long fuse. It's better for everybody um, with that long fuse, because if he was a hothead, who knows the, the carnage he may have left in his wake if he wanted to do that all the time. But it was always, don't wake up Clark Gillies. Don't make him angry. And well, when I did my my uh, top 10 Islander all-time enforcer episode, even though I say I can make a case for 
anyone in my top five to be number one. I think um, many people think it's either Clark or Bob Nystrom. And I always say it, how you view it is how you, how you're going to make your number one. Uh, Bob Nystrom fought a lot more than Clark Gillies, but is it because people, people would rather fight Bob Nystrom than fight Clark Gillies? And as we all know, that usually didn't end well. (laughs) That's a tough choice. And usually one that didn't end well for the opponents. It's like, pick your poison there. So uh, Bob was uh, more active of a fighter, but I think that also lends more. It also helps the legend of Clark Gillies, where he did the maximum amount of damage with his fists in the, the minimum amount of fights. He didn't have to go out and fight 30 times a year to establish his reputation. He didn't have to do it and he didn't want to do it. It was never anything that, um, he went looking for maybe on occasion, if he felt like he had to, uh, avenge a loss or if somebody took advantage of one of his teammates, it was something he went looking for, but really Clark Gillies was the guy who would take care of business when it needed to be taken care of. And if it didn't, he just wanted to play. And I know that's why I say maybe some people put Bob Nystrom as number one. Some people may put Mick Vakoda, uh, maybe Gary Howitt, maybe Eric Cairns. And, and those those are the guys that I say I can make a case for all of them being number one on my list or on anyone's list. But on my list, Clark was number one. And I don't think you can really argue that. Well, I can't say I can make a case for the other four guys and then say you can't argue it. So I guess you can argue it. But for me, I'm fortunate enough to be of the age where I got to watch all these guys play. I saw exactly uh, the intimidation factor that Clark has. And uh, and there's a story that I, I retell in uh, my chat with Dean Ewan here about a story I heard John Tonelli tell on a podcast recently just about his intimidation and and this story includes even his own teammates so he never had over a uh, hundred he never had a hundred penalty minutes never hit triple digits most amount of damage in the least amount of fights and respected by everyone in the league don't make him mad um because you don't want to get hit with that cinder block right hand you don't and uh, and you don't want to make him angry and no, he wasn't undefeated. You know, obviously not. Nobody goes undefeated. But the wins and losses thing, I think that's for the for the fans. I think once you're involved, the guys in the room know what a fight does, whether you win or you lose, especially if you're coming to the defense of a teammate. The whole win-loss thing, I think that's for fans to debate. I don't think it ever really means a lot to the guys in the room. So whether he's undefeated or not is irrelevant. You know, Bob Probert is, in my opinion, the toughest guy to ever play the game, and he certainly isn't undefeated. So, like I said, that stuff is more for the fans than the players. Everybody knows uh, how important Clark Gillies was. And, um, you know, for me on a personal level, something I touched on last episode, uh, Clark was, uh, was a hero of mine, a sports hero. Uh, back in the day, it was really, you know, Clark Gillies, Bob Nystrom, uh, Jack Lambert, even though I'm a Bills fan, I love Joe Ferguson. I love the Bills, but Jack Lambert was, was a hero of mine in football. Uh, of course, if you know me, especially if you went to school with me back in the day, uh, you know, Del Murphy was, uh, was my baseball hero. And, uh, you know, these are all, all people. I think when you, uh, when you have childhood heroes, you look at them differently. I don't consider anyone right now that I'm a fan of a hero and maybe hero 
I think it's um, there's something poetic about it, something nostalgic about it. I don't I don't look at anyone as a hero right now, but seven year old, six year old me, seven year old me, eight year old me watching these Islander games, as, as I keep saying, and I'm sorry if I'm repeating myself on my little 12 inch black and white TV in my room, uh, watching uh, WOR channel nine, watching the Islanders. And, uh, and like I say, larger than life, you know, Clark was one of the bigger guys back then. And, and he always had that beard. And, uh, you know, for, for a lot of my childhood, my dad had a beard and uh, my dad's a pretty tough dude himself. So I, I think I always kind of equated the, the beard um, if you wore a beard, you're a pretty tough guy and, uh, just, you know, watching, you know, and you just watch guys like, like Bobby Nystrom and Gary Howitt and Clark, like these were, <laughs> these guys were tough as fuck, man. Like as a kid, you just watch, I'm sitting back and I'm watching these guys sort of run the rink, but obviously on the other side, the, the other team had tough players too. And again, nobody wins all their fights, but I, I don't know if it was, if it was just something about the black and white aspect, if it was something about Clark's beard, if it was just his sheer size, he just seemed almost like a hockey god out there. He was just this superhero. And, you know, 51-year-old me would never say that if I just started watching hockey now. But single-digit me with through the eyes of a child? Yeah, absolutely. Like, like when the Islanders played, it was an event. Um, I just loved it, you know, going to school that day and coming home and knew the Islanders were on and, and I couldn't wait. And even the West Coast games, you know, obviously I doubt I stayed up for most of them, but I, I sure as hell started watching them when they came on. But, you know, that's what I'll always remember most about Clark are, are just watching the games as a kid and becoming an Islanders fan because of players like Clark Gillies. And, um, you know, and just really, there wasn't, I didn't look at, uh, I looked at the stats and everything back then, but it wasn't about really, it wasn't a numbers thing with, with Clark growing up. It was just watching someone who was just a hero of mine every night and just watching it and admiring what this guy could do and just watching him do everything that he was capable of doing, which was passing and scoring and hitting and fighting he did everything. You know, I, I could watch Mike Bossy put the puck past anybody. And he did it better than anybody. But that was his that was his job. But Mike Bossy wasn't going to throw a body check. Mike Bossy wasn't going to back check. Mike Bossy definitely wasn't going to fight. Which is fine. I didn't want Mike Bossy. I, I wanted, if it was up to me, Mike Bossy would have worn hockey gloves 24-7 to protect those hands. But that, that's my point. With Clark, he could do everything. And as an impressionable young kid, it just blew my mind. It just absolutely just blew my mind just watching this guy. And um, I know I'm not alone. I know there's, there's thousands of people, um, uh, you know, my age that that grew up with Clark Gillies and even you know older people but but they're watching it as an older person and by older I don't mean you know 70 80 years old but obviously you know if I'm watching Clark Gillies as a 7 year old there's people out there 27 37 47 but they're watching it as an adult and they can be more analytical and it and it wouldn't be watching it as a hero so um 
for me, I just feel so fortunate that um, I was able to watch these guys as a young man and just really gain an appreciation for for what they were capable of doing. And I was able to see it through the eyes of a child because when the Islanders win the Stanley Cup, whether it's this year, I know a lot of people have given up on them this year and a lot of people say I'm out of my mind. I haven't given up on them yet. I'm not going to give up on them. Okay. And I tell you what, the one thing I say to people is if this team manages to get into the playoffs, is there a team that you'd want to play less than the Islanders getting into the playoffs? Because they're going to have to play it a 650 to 700 clip to get into the playoffs, which would make them the hottest team in the second half, which would also make them the team with the hottest goalie. And there's no team that would want to play this team. So let's that nobody can deny if they do get into the playoffs. But I'm not jumping ship yet. And I'm not saying they're winning the Cup this year. But when they do win the Stanley Cup, I'm going to view it as an adult. And that's different than viewing it as a kid. They won their first Cup. I was nine when they won their first Cup. And I tell you, being a nine-year-old in Queens on a block where there's mostly Ranger fans, I must have been so annoying. Then when they win two and when they win three and when they win four, and I was a pretty mellow kid, don't get me wrong, but I must have been, <coughs> excuse me, I must have been walking around like that gif of Vince McMahon walking out of the curtain or like Conor McGregor. I got to tell you, when I was, obviously I don't remember doing that, but uh, from, <laughs> from the ages of nine through 12, I must have been really obnoxious to a lot of the Ranger fans that were around me uh, in my neighborhood because it was a Ranger block. Uh, and actually, I lived in, in Maspeth for a couple of those years and Middle Village for the others. And um, yeah, especially Maspeth, there were there were three three of us on the block. It was uh, myself and, uh, God, two guys I haven't spoken to in probably 40 years, the Aglioloro brothers, uh, Rob and Sal. And we were the only Islander fans on a block of Ranger fans, so we must have been the most obnoxious pains in the asses back then. Um, oh, no, you know what? Um, I shouldn't say that. I think there was one other. It was our next-door neighbor, Michael Gurdusky. I think he was in a house of Ranger fans, and I think he was he was an Islander fan too. I just dawned on me because his name was Michael, and he loved Mike Bossy. So, yeah, so there were four of us in Maspeth, and um, – we must have been such dicks walking around that neighborhood, like we like we won the cups, but uh, but but again, I digress. Uh, you know, Clark will definitely be missed in this household, and uh, you know, I get to tell my sons right now. You know, um, get to pop in the DVDs and jump on YouTube and and watch some some good memories of Clark Gillies, and uh, you know. Um, Obviously, for those of you who know me or listen to the show, you know my wife is a massive Islanders fan too. She's a couple of years younger than me, but she remembers uh, she remembers Clark really well, and um, so he's uh, he's definitely going to be missed in this house. Uh, that's for sure. There's no two ways about it, and uh, and he's really provided a lot of good memories uh, for us here. So, um, yeah. All right. So, um, <clears throat> excuse me. So uh, for this episode. I uh, I reached out to uh, numerous people and, you know, as I've discussed in the past with other guests, you know, people work, I work, 
if you listen to fourth line voice, I'll tell you that I'm very busy and, and I am, I mean, uh, commuting to the city and working at Madison square garden, my hours change week to week. So, uh, sometimes it's not conducive, uh, for doing a podcast, but I do my best, but, uh, everybody works now. Everybody has jobs. And with certain people, you're talking about time zone differences and, um, sometimes it doesn't work out. So, um, I did reach out to about seven or eight people and uh, I was able to get four people on the horn. And um, I, I want to thank the others because even though I, I wasn't able to uh, to get them to do to sit down and do the interview with me, I know that uh, if they could have, they would have. Nobody said no. And really the only, uh, only uh, problem was scheduling. So, um, so I do want to thank them. Uh, if they're listening, you know who you are. I, I thank you for attempting to uh, to chat with me. Uh, but I really also want to thank the four people that I was able to uh, get to do uh, the interview. And that was uh, Dave Chizowski, Jim Johnson, Dean Ewan, and Mick Vakoda. So I know uh, over the last couple of weeks, you, you if you listen to different podcasts or you, or you watch different shows or watch on YouTube, that... You've probably heard a lot of Clark's former teammates make statements. And and honestly, I don't really know any of them to ask them their thoughts or their stories. The one guy that I could have reached out to was Bobby Nystrom, but I, I was no way was I going to reach out to Bob Nystrom and ask him to come on the show and, and talk about Clark because um, – let's be honest, those two guys were so close. It had to be like a, losing a brother. And uh, I wasn't about to say, Hey, Bob, while you're grieving, would you mind coming on my show to talk about Clark? Uh, I couldn't do that. So, um, I do, I do feel strongly that, that Bob Nystrom will be on my show at some point. And obviously we will talk about Clark Gillies, but, um, as far as Clark's teammates bob would really be the only one that that i would have access to and like i said i was not going to ask him to uh to come on the show during what is obviously a difficult time for all of us but especially someone who for all intents and purposes is like a brother to clark gilly so i wasn't going to do that but um i feel like the people that i got on the show today uh told great stories i really thanked them for their time and uh I'm hoping that it's they're they're different voices than what you've heard, so you get some variety because um, it's good. It, it, Variety's good, and and Clark has touched so many people that it's great if you can hear stories from some people on another show or on TV, and then it, and then you know use my show also to get some stories from people that you may not have heard anywhere else. Um, like I said, Clark has touched so many people that. Um, you know, you, there could probably be a thousand people that you can uh, ask about Clark Gillies and, and they'll have at least one good story. So, um, I do hope that you guys, uh, enjoy this. Uh, it was, it was, uh, again, fun for me to do, but unfortunate circumstances. Um, but I, I put a lot into this episode. I hope you people enjoy it. And we'll start off with a conversation that I had with Dean Ewan. Now, if, again, <clears throat> I always say it all the time. If you if you know me, or if you're a regular listener to the show, uh, Dean is my oldest and closest friend, and um, Dean is a he's a brother to me. He's he's my brother, and um, 
while Dean Dean never really had many interactions with Clark, um, one of the many things that Dean and I have in common, despite me being born in New York and him being born in Saskatchewan, is that we both grew up idolizing Clark Gillies. Uh, there are many things that him and I have in common, despite being from opposite sides of the map. Uh, but that is one of the things that we have in common, uh, our, our love for Clark Gillies, Bob Nystrom, and players like that. Uh, Dean grew up an Islanders fan, and uh, I definitely wanted to get uh, get his thoughts on Clark Gillies. So let's start off the show with uh, my chat with Dean Ewan. I hope you people enjoy it. Ladies and gentlemen, back for his third appearance on the show, his third appearance. He now leads the entire world in appearing on this show, his third appearance. Um, you all know him. You all love him. Uh, my brother from another mother. That's what the kids say, right? Uh, so this is my man, Dean Ewan. Dean, thank you very much for joining me tonight. Uh, Joe, thanks for having me. It's the, this is the only hat trick of my life. <laughs> that's not true. You probably scored some in midget. <laughs> that's a long time ago. No, I, I know. But this is a yeah. This is a this is a pro hat trick. Thank you. Excellent. Well, listen, I, I'm happy to set you up. I'll take the three assists. I'm okay. With that. <laughs> so, you so uh, you know, like I've said to everyone else I've spoken to this week about it, it it's uh, <laughs> under, of course, unfortunate circumstances that we're uh, we're having this conversation now. Uh, obviously, with the passing of Clark Gillies, I know uh, uh, I know personally he was one of your favorite players. So, uh, so I just wanted to talk to you and and kind of just get. Uh, your perspective uh, of Clark. So um, I guess start starting with, and this is something that I brought up when I spoke to uh, Mick Vakoda was um, the, the pride. Like it's one of the things I first really noticed about you guys when I got to know a lot of you guys. It's that that pride you have, whether it's just Canadian pride or provincial pride. So even though you were raised in Alberta, you were born in Saskatchewan, and obviously everybody knows at Clark Gillies is a Sasky boy too. Um, what, what, can you just talk a little bit about that and the kind of pride that, uh, that the provinces take in their, in their sons when they go off and become basically legends? Well, yeah, first of all, I'd like to, you know, condolences to the family and, and everyone, uh, that's associated with them. I mean, I think it's a big loss for everybody. Um, but for us growing up in that, in Western Canada, it's not just necessarily about, like you said, being Canadian. It's about being from the Western Hockey League as well. So uh, you come from these places where the only choices you have are work the farm, work the mill, work the mine, or play hockey. And so you see a guy scrape and, and claw and, and work his way up and then really have success Um and you can't help but take pride in that. And one of the guys who actually paved the way for most of the guys to come up and, and be big, strong, physical players and not have to be able to to be Wayne Gretzky or or anyone like that, but to be able to just grind it out day after day, show up, go to work, blue-collar mentality, and, and we did take pride in that. Now, um, because I because I I've known you for a long time, and people that listen to our episode, um, you grew up an Islanders fan, isn't that right? Yeah, uh, my two favorite players were Bobby Nystrom and um, Clark Gillies. 
I think it was one of those things because you saw a dynasty team with a Western Hockey League guy who had a real honest, hard-nosed game. And so we would – I don't think it was just myself. I think there was a lot of guys from that area that really gravitated towards that team because of the way they played and because Clark was a, a Western guy. Uh, another thing to look at is the leagues. I mean, you and I have talked about numerous times about how each league has a certain persona of the player that it has. Uh, if you wanted a, an ultra high-flying scorer, you went to the Quebec League. If you wanted a, a really good two-way power forward, you went to the Ontario League. And if you wanted a just a guy who could maybe score some points but was an absolute meathead and could fight and was mean, you went to the Western League. <laughs> You went to the Wild West, mm-hmm. and and I think that's one of the things that uh, Clark did was he really separated. Okay, I can play this way, but I can also score, and I can lead. You know, when a guy like that wears a C, that's for for men to choose you to do that. I mean, we all took pride in that, and uh, as you've probably talked to a number of his former teammates, the respect that they had for him everywhere. Now. Um... Is it weird that you gravitated towards a Gillies and a Nystrom and not a, a Mike Bossy? Uh, that was supposed to be a joke. I, yeah, you know, I, I guess <laughs> like this whole thing about talent, I didn't quite have that. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I could try. I, I, I could have gravitated towards Gordy Howe, but I don't think it was going to happen. <laughs> So when um when did you um, around when did you start following the Islanders and start uh, following say Clark Gillies and Bobby Nystrom? Uh, was it the dynasty years? Was it a little bit before? Was it a little bit after? It was the dynasty years. Mm-hmm. It was really you know that was kind of the era where I was getting old enough to actually understand the players and and what everyone watched Hockey Night in Canada. Mm-hmm. You didn't have the ability to watch the New York Islanders all the time. But you knew they were there, and then you watched the playoff games, and that's when it really stuck out that this is who I wanted to try and emulate. I didn't come anywhere near close to it, but, I mean, it was someone that you actually try and and you want to try and patter your game after a little bit or hope that you could be in somewhat similar to them even though you're never going to reach that stature. What uh, – I mean, obviously, whether you uh, watched it live or uh, watched it on YouTube – uh, for someone that you know, you did your job, and, and he that was part of his job. When you when you go back and you watch some of the highlights, you watch the uh, the fights with Terry O'Reilly, um, you know the Dave Schultz fights, Ed Hospodar, like you know, it's, he's just synonymous with with toughness. What do, what do you think as a guy who's done that job? I'm trying to figure out how he could fight and chew bubble gum at the same time. <laughs> you ever noticed you watch back and he's the fight breaks up and he's chewing bubble gum. Yes. Like, mm-hmm. What? How do you even do that? I would swallow that. Like <laughs> it's and and with him it was always you know if you notice if you watch some of them, there were there were t- a couple of different Clark Gillies I think when he was going to fight, there was the Clark Gillies that had had enough and now he's going to fight. And every now and then, I think there was the Clark Gillies that was just kind of like, okay. And he got that look in his eyes. And he started chewing the gum. I remember, I think it was, uh, you know, against the Bruins. It seemed like he was always chewing the gum, Al Secord. And then yeah. there was the time uh, time at the Garden, and it's in my intro here, where he ends up getting a hold of Sandstrom. 
And not that he did anything to Sandstrom, but I always laugh when Steve Richmond, who was probably the toughest guy on the ice for the Rangers at the time, he comes in and and this is on YouTube for people listening to to go check it out. And Richmond, I guess, he's doing his job, but you could tell he really didn't want to do his job at that point. And Clark just is like, he's got he's got the hands up, he's squaring off, and he's just like, okay, let's go. And all I remember is Richmond squaring off, but looking both sides over the shoulder like, is someone going to jump in here? Someone going to get in here? And then, you know, because the other, the other eight guys, and maybe at that point I don't even remember if the goalies were involved, they're all in a scrum. And Richmond, I guess, at some point realized – I don't know. This is my worst nightmare and I'm just going to dive in for his legs. But, you know, like, like you say, you could tell there were times where he had the gum in his mouth and there were just a few times where, all right. And I think it was like, like I said, with the C court fight and he just gets that look. And I don't know which is scarier when you get a fed up Clark Gillies or the Clark Gillies that says, okay, let's do this right now. And he's got that. uh, He doesn't have the twinkle in his eyes like a Gary Howitt did, but there were times where it looked like, all right, I'm going to just do this now and, and have fun with it. Yeah, I'm, I I think, you know, because I played for Butch Goring and Bobby Bourne mm-hmm. in Vegas. And I can't remember which one of them told me the story. But they said uh, the first time he fought Ben Wilson and Ben Wilson got the best of him, mm-hmm. they were terrified to go anywhere near him in practice because he was radar locked. Mm-hmm. And he came in the locker room after he lost said, that will never happen again. And his own teammates were like, okay, just give him a wide berth until he fights <laughs> Ben Wilson again. <laughs> you know? Yeah. How many guys have you seen? I mean, uh, that, but that's another trait. I think it's commendable. How many guys have you seen who will – they're two different kinds of fighters. Mm-hmm. You know? Yep. Uh, Dave Brown, who you could do really well with the first time. <laughs> but if you did really well, he was going to kill you. Like Stu Grimson you know? knows. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or Jim Pike. yeah, it's true. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. You know, yeah. and I, I think I think Clark was one of those. And that story that uh, they told me just really, really hit home about how you have to know it and how he had the ability to really get angry. And you didn't want to be around him when he was angry. I heard so. there's a story that has made the rounds here. And uh, I just heard it today on a podcast and, and I had forgotten about it. And it uh and made me laugh because I remember hearing this a long time ago where um, Clark it was, um, I think it was, they said it was the Buffalo series, I think in 1980. And there was one game he shows up for practice and he's got these brand new white shoes. Like I guess the dress shoes are all white. And he was the first guy on the ice. And apparently Dwayne Sutter looked at the guys and said, Hey, we should sign these. We should all autograph these. <laughs> right. So they all signed the shoes and he comes back there. And uh, it was Tanelli on the podcast I heard today. And he goes, we all got that look that we never wanted to get. And he just, <laughs> he grabbed the shoes and he left. And he goes, the next day he had a brand new pair of white shoes in his locker. <laughs> I was like, it's just like, could you imagine like they're all having fun and I guess nobody said, everyone's like probably like, yeah, we'll have fun. And then he gets in the locker room and you just get that look and, you know, like to me, you know, I I always say like you guys that do the job, you know, you guys are fearless and you guys are, are, are warriors and everything. And I think what sometimes gets lost is the guys who don't play physical, they're still grown men. Like you're still a man. 
even if you don't play that way. And then you you think about, you know, these are still grown men and they're like, oh shit, this is, we just, yeah. fucked with <laughs> yeah. we got to get him a new pair of shoes. So, yeah. uh, you know, yeah, you, you must know your limitations. <laughs> <laughs> now during your time with the Islanders and, and uh, you know, I think uh, what, what people should realize is uh, when you were with the Islanders and, and a lot of the other guys I'm speaking to, Bob Nystrom was, was in the organization, had a role, whether it was assistant coach or broadcaster or worked for the team. So a lot of you guys had uh, way more correspondence and interactions with Bob Nystrom, but, uh, and you were here for some training camps and some exhibition games. Did you ever happen to meet Clark at all? Never got to actually meet him. I just remember uh, about three times um, when we were getting ready for exhibition games in the old Coliseum, he'd stick his face in. Like he just literally, you just see his face stick in and he'd wave and go, go get him guys. <laughs> it's like, okay. Funny, it was usually when the Rangers were in town. Yeah, weird how that works, right? Yeah, I was, it was like, holy cow. Oh. But no, I, I wish I would have. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, heck, I was surprised to find out that I, I didn't know it when I was playing for Borny in Vegas, but uh, that I think it's Bourne's daughter is married to Clark's Son, the opposite. Uh, the opposite. Born, born son is married to uh, Clark's daughter. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't know that. That's that's wild. Well, they wild. they grew up together, um, and they actually both were uh, signed to the Astros before mm-hmm. they they played here. So they, I think, they were very close. And I, I think, um, I forget how the story goes, but but they they ended up moving like. Um, you know, they grew up, they, I think they had houses next to each other. So the kids grew up together. Um, and then I, you know, uh, Bourne went to LA, Clark went to Buffalo and I think they ended up both back here or somewhere where they were living together again. And the kids reconnected. And then I think one thing led to another and they ended up, uh, starting the date and then getting married. That's a, well, it's a really cool story. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. what, there's another cool story. Um, for those of us that collect cards, um, you know, your brother Todd was actually appeared on a card with Clark Gillies. I think it was called Heroes. And uh, if you're a card collector, I'm sure you've seen the card. It has a, a big picture of Clark in the background in black and white, and then a smaller picture of Todd in his Canadian's uniform. And uh, and that has to be pretty cool, I would think. Anytime you're on a hockey card is cool, mm-hmm. but specifically when you get to be on one with someone that you looked up to. Mm-hmm. And someone that you tried to emulate, um, I, I he was very, very, very proud of that card. Yeah, so, mm-hmm. uh, you know it was a wonderful thing, and it's nice of someone to do that. But I mean, it was uh, anytime you get that opportunity, it's fantastic. Yeah. So um, I don't really have anything else right now. I, I thank you for your time. For those of you who don't know, uh, Dean's wife, lovely wife, is currently making dinner, and uh, he likes <laughs> he likes food as much as I do. So I don't want to keep him on the line too much longer. Uh, but uh, but I appreciate that you uh, you take the time, a uh, few minutes to talk about uh, the legend here. No, I appreciate it very much. Uh, thanks for having me on. I know it's hard to find a Zoom screen that fits my head, but... Uh... <laughs> yeah, look who you're talking to. <laughs> look who you're talking to. So I will tell you, I did find uh, a place where we can make... Uh, you send a picture in, they make custom bobbleheads. Oh, so, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we might have to do a, a Joe Lazito bobblehead well, for your I, podcast. So you could just have a little... 
I, well, they would have to use extra cement, I think. <laughs> I think they'd need they'd need extra cement. It's probably you know when you order a shirt and you know extra up to extra large is like one one price, and then the, as you add a number, it gets higher and higher. So uh, you know, I'm sure with my bobblehead, it'll be a lot of money. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm I'm sure it'll be just fine, Joe. I, I know what I'm getting you now for Christmas. Oh well, excellent, excellent. <laughs> so uh, all right, with that, uh, the thought of my uh, thought of a bobblehead coming in 11 months, I I can't wait. And uh, <laughs> and thank you again for the time, man. I'll talk to you soon. All right, thanks, bud. All right, bye. I'm one of those people who don't believe that uh, post game press conferences are all that necessary. Uh, when the guys lose, they're they're sort of sullen and they're not going to give you great answers. And when they win, it's all you know, uh, rainbows and unicorns, I guess. And it was a great team effort, and so on and so forth. But uh, after a recent game, uh, I think it was the Phoenix game, or I guess they're Arizona now. Um, in the post-game press conference, Matt Martin was there with Anders Lee, and um, they were both asked about their memories of Clark Gillies, and here's the audio from that. How devastating is it to hear of, of his passing at this point? It's tragic, to be honest with you. Um, you know, Clark, he's always gone out of his way to, uh, you know, welcome players into the organization. Um you know, I think he epitomizes everything that being a New York Islander is. Um, you know, that he walks into a room, he's charismatic, he carries a room. Uh, I remember when I met him for the first time, you know, I always thought, like, that's who, that's who I want to be when I grow up. Um, he's just an a, amazing human being. Um, you know, it's just <clears throat> very... Uh, very sad and unfortunate, and uh, I speak for the whole organization when I say that our hearts and thoughts and prayers go out to the family. Uh, he's got a beautiful family, and you know he's done so much for the community um, with his foundation that we've uh, been lucky enough to be a part of over the years. And uh, you know he'll forever live on, <coughs> uh, you know, in, inside of this organization. And like I said, he just represents everything you know, being a New York Islander is. Yeah, I mean, it was uh, anytime you ran into Clark, he was uh, a wonderful experience, a great conversation. Um, he lived and breathed uh, Islander hockey. And, um, you know, I, my heart goes out to his family and um, all the all of his friends and the people he's touched um, since he's been since he's been here on the island. It's um, it's a sad day. Brian Compton, NHL.com. Hey, guys. Uh, for either one of you, is there a story that you can share about Clarkie in the years that you've known him? Thank you. <laughs> I mean, he, he loved loved to tell jokes, bad jokes. Um, he opened, you know, every one of his foundation events. That, like, like I said, I was lucky to be a part of golf tournaments, bowling events. You know, he was a big reason why... Uh, I started my foundation as well, um, but he, he he loved to tell jokes. Like I said, um, he loved to you know include just about everybody in the room. Um, you know, for as tough as a, a guy he was on the ice, um, probably not a you know nicer human being uh, away from the game. And you know, 
he'll, he'll be missed in, in a lot of ways. But like I said, uh, his his presence and you know who he was uh, will continue to live on with with us. And um, like I said, we just hope we hope the family all the best. Yeah, when a uh, few summers back, we were supposed to play a round of golf and um, showed up early in the morning. Um, uh, me, Clarky, close friend of mine, and one of Clarky's close friends, and uh, we got completely rained out. Um, so we sat in the clubhouse uh, all morning and turned it into a, a long day. It was just uh, a great morning with Clarky, and just honestly didn't. Nothing mattered about the game uh, the round that day. We just got to sit around a table and uh, spend time with him. Next up is Jim Johnson. Now, uh, I met Jim in the late 80s. Jim was the director of sales and marketing for the Islanders from 1982 to 1995. And if you remember when I spoke to John Forsland, we, we talked about titles uh, in, in the minors. And I think this really could also apply to, uh, the NHL in, in the, the eighties, the nineties, I think before it sort of became what it is today, where we just, we discussed with John that not only was he, uh, the PR guy, uh, the media relations guy, the broadcast, he, he had so many different hats, regardless of what his title was. And I think back when Jim was with the Islanders, especially when he first started in, in the 80s. He was the director of sales and marketing, but he wore a lot of hats. And um, it was probably good for the Islanders that they hired a guy like Jim. As I get into, uh, as I discuss with Jim once we start chatting, uh, Jim really is one of the nicest people I've ever met. Uh, Jim was always very good to us up there in Section 329. Really, really supported us. Uh, there were plenty of people back then uh, that, that did it with the organization. Guys like Jim Johnson and Greg Boris, uh, Chris Botta, uh really always were very good to me and uh, to us as a group up there. And uh, Jim, like I said, one of the most genuine human beings. And it really isn't a surprise that later on he would go to work with Pat LaFontaine in Pat's Companions and Courage Foundation, where Jim is now the executive director. And um, Jim worked both with Clark Gillies when Clark was a player and later on with, um, you know, with Jim working with Pat's foundation and Clark Gillies ha having his foundation. Uh, I know a lot of times they worked hand in hand. So I really thought that Jim would provide some really good insight and he definitely did not disappoint. So um, here's my chat with Jim Johnson on the phone right now is uh, is an old friend of mine, uh, Jim Johnson. And, and I met Jim in the late eighties uh, back when a band of misfits decided to congregate at the top of Section 329 at the Nassau Coliseum. And uh, Jim, I, I met him, and honestly, one of the nicest people I've ever met. And Jim was always very supportive of, uh, of uh, us fans up there in 329. And, uh, and, and it's a, I would say it's very difficult to not love Jim, and, and I am not blowing smoke up your ass. You are a tremendous human being. Um, Jim, it's really nice to reconnect with you today, uh, unfortunately, given the circumstances, but uh, I'm very happy to chat with you today. Well, th thanks so much, Joe. That's very kind of you. And, you know, most people don't realize, you know, how that 329 crew got <laughs> assembled. And it's uh, that's a whole story for another day. But <laughs> But, but you guys have, have weathered through 
you know, <laughs> arena changes, <laughs> team changes, and you're still there supporting the blue and orange. And I, I must tell you, it's it's one of my fondest memories of my, I, I, I worked with the Islanders uh, probably for 13, 14 years. It's one of my fondest memories is you guys getting together up there and, and bringing life into what had been a dead building at the time. Well, I really appreciate that. We had fun. And actually, the uh, the incarnation that is currently residing at UBS is different than us. Uh, we all got older and uh, had to get regular jobs and everything. So we're still there. You know, uh, we're still there, but we kind of uh, we're in our different sections now and everything. And then we kind of congregate in between periods. But uh, but those uh, those were some of the best times uh, of my life. And I'm happy to say that decades later, uh, most of us are still very close and uh and i know i speak for uh for all the boys and girls up there and say we always appreciated uh your support you know people like you and greg boris and uh how you guys always uh always supported us and it really meant a lot to us well that's great i mean it's and it's i guess it's uh another reflection on us all getting old is uh you know losing our dear friend number nine this week and you know when i when i think about clarky you know the thing that, and, and it kind of goes back to 329, right? So Clarky was a friend to everyone, mm-hmm. whether you met him sitting on a bar stool at the Wild Rose in Farmingdale or <laughs> saw him after he came, you know, coming out of the, you know, the, the underground from the Coliseum or you played around the golf at Huntington Crescent Club, or even if you won four Stanley Cups with him, you always walked away feeling like you just made a lifelong friend. Oh. And and that was Clarky, you know, so you know, it goes back to even during the cup years, you know, he and Lauren Henning would organize the team would play softball in the summer in parks all throughout Long Island. Mm-hmm. It, in this day of, you know, everybody being close to the vest and stuff, it's almost inconceivable that a team that was that popular would and, and that successful would hang around in the summer. Mm-hmm. They play the fire department or sanitation guys or the king in his court and you know, it was just all fun. They they loved each other's company so much as teammates, and they wanted to rub elbows with you know the deli owners and the bar owners and everybody else, and and raise some money for charity and have a beer in in the summer together. So, you know, that was that was really kind of the start of it. And then and then Clarky was just, you know, he would his foundation. The Clark Gillies Foundation is a great group, very grassroots. Marion Wafer runs the thing. He's got a great board. John Danzi, Sal Farrow, Paul Paternaster, Chris Amplo, all these guys who are leaders in the community who just rallied behind Clark. Very similar to Pat LaFontaine's foundation, Companions and Courage, which is really very grassroots, No big offices on Madison Avenue, just a bunch of really good board members who strive to help sick kids. And and the two foundations kind of aligned and and that made it really, really powerful that those guys had been teammates on the ice and then they stayed teammates for the next 30 years of their lives and helping kids in our community here on Long Island. And, you know, I always say that one of the most important things about having a team in your community 
is, I mean, you want to win championships and four cups in a row is great. Don't get that wrong. But the fact that, you know, guys from, uh, you know, Moose Jaw, Saskatchewan and Waterford, Michigan, and, uh, you know, all these other places came here because of the Islanders and had such a significant impact. So, you know, the, the one event uh, Pat and Clark really got together on and, and they had supported each other's golf events and things like that for, for a decade or more. Uh, but they got together uh, a while back in 2009, actually. Uh, Clark was very, very involved with Huntington Hospital. He's raised millions of dollars. They have a pediatric emergency unit named after him there. But uh, a, a young girl in the community named Brianna Titcomb uh, had passed away in a tragic accident. She was on vacation with her family, and uh, they had a terrible accident. Brianna passed away. Her nickname was Breezy. And just coincidentally, both Pat and Clark have daughters named Brianna. Oh, wow. Uh, and they, the two guys came together, raised a, about a quarter of a million dollars, and they built a room, an interactive room, and they called it the Breezy Cub Room at Huntington Hospital. And to this day, so it's, you know, it's gone on 12, 13 years now, any patient, pediatric patient that goes to Huntington Hospital is introduced to this room and and allowed to connect to the outside world, uh, you know, especially in these days of COVID when parents can't even go into a hospital to visit right. their children. Right. It's just nice to know that Clark and Pat got together and created this space where a kid can be a kid and they can talk to their friends and family and get homework assignments and things like that. And uh, that's that's the ultimate teammates, right, to make that kind of a difference in the community. I think uh, one of the reasons why I wanted to to chat with you about this is because I think you're the perfect person to talk about Clark Gillies, the human, because you've had experience with Clark back when you worked for the Islanders and when he was a player, but also you mentioned Pat LaFontaine's foundation, which you're an executive director of, the Companions and Courage, and you, like you had already mentioned, a lot of Clark Gillies' uh, philanthropic efforts. So I think it's really important that a, a voice like yours is heard. And, and one other thing I want to point out, because you mentioned the softball teams. Now, uh, it's been my contention, and I've said this for years, that unless you're from Long Island, you don't really know the impact the Islanders team, the organization, means to the fans because people outside of the area, they hear New York and they go, well, they have the Rangers, the Yankees, the Mets, they have all these teams. But the Islanders really are Long Island's team. And in a day and age now where, where players are, you know, you're in the playoffs, you're down three games to whatever, and you have your, your plane booked in case you lose, you're heading home right from the arena. You're not even going back to the, right. you know, to, to your home arena. You're going to Hawaii, you're going to wherever. Like you say, these are guys that stayed around uh, all summer playing softball. I know they played, uh, you guys played some games at Shea Stadium, I believe, yeah. and, but you play in games at all the different parks around here. And, and I think for people that aren't from around here, that's a big reason why. I, I've always said, and you work with Pat LaFontaine every day, and, and I've said part of, Pat LaFontaine is one of the nicest human beings that I have ever met. And part of the reason why I know that is there wasn't um, this barrier between 
the players and the fans that there is now sometimes where I could go to Kaniac Park back in the day and watch a practice and then after after the, the practice just hang out and wait for autographs and someone like Patty had time for everybody all the time and Clark was the same way. There wasn't that barrier. The Islanders were part of the community and I think when you see you see someone like Patty and you see someone like Clark giving back to the community and, and use their stature to help kids, like you say, I mean, it just, it's beyond words. Well, you're right, Joe. And, and it really goes all the way back to the inception. Okay. When Bill Torrey, you know, had a clean slate and he, in the expansion draft, he took Eddie Westfall from the Bruins. The Bruins had won a couple of cups at that point and they had a culture that, you know, Bobby Orr and Phyllis Bezito and Derek Sanderson and Eddie Westfall, you know, the, Johnny Busick, they would all go out together for a beer after a game, win, lose, or draw, and really created a community within the Boston community. When Eddie became the first captain here, he brought that culture to Long Island. And he was, you know, he, he was well into his career at that point. And dumped upon him were all these kids, you know, Clark Gillies and Brian Trotsche and Mike Bossy and Billy Smith. I mean, they were they were babies at yeah. the time. And he just took them all under his wing and he said, OK, this is how we're going to be. He brought the Bruins culture to Long Island. And when, you know, it came time for summer, everybody, you know, hung around here. They, they wanted to be here. And, and to, to my point earlier, you know, you have. You know, guys that have stayed here, you know, even the more recent Stevie Webb from, mm -hmm. you know, Peterborough. And you have, you know, obviously Bobby Nystrom hitting Alberta. Mm -hmm. You know, you have just guys from all over. They came here and they stayed and made a colossal difference. But it all started with them just liking each other. They enjoyed each other's company so much. You know, today, a lot of guys, as soon as the season ends, as you say, they have their flights booked. Because they really can't stand the guys they're playing with in a lot of cases. Yeah. These guys loved each other. And, and I think that translated onto the ice with their success. You know, the thing that's funny is when you talk about them today. So th those guys that we were just talking about, the Bobby Nyes and the Clarkies and Pat and Webby and those guys, they, they still connect very closely with the fans and they participate in each other's charitable events, their golf outings. Clarkey was a an absolute right. If he wasn't a great hockey player or golfer or a baseball player or whatever, because he, he was a great athlete, he could have been a game show host. Mm -hmm. He was yep. he was hysterical. Mm -hmm. And he would we had a thing and I, I as I'm sitting here talking to you, I can't believe this was only four months ago. But he was, a, he was a staple at Pat LaFontaine's charity golf innings every year. And he would, we would do a thing at the dinner after the round of golf. And we would introduce all the celebrities. And we got to a point this year where we just had a running gag. How many standing ovations could we get for Clark Gillis? <laughs> and it was a riot. And, you know, we would be going along and then somebody would say, uh, okay, uh, next on the agenda, by the way, before we get there, ladies and gentlemen, do you realize in our company tonight is the great Clark Gillies? And he would stand up in the back of the room with <laughs> and the crowd would go nuts. 
And I'm so proud to tell you, we got it up to nine standing ovations. Oh, this my year, God. Which is like, I'm so grateful we did. Yeah. So mm-hmm. finally, after nine standing ovations, or actually it was eight, he, he said, I, you know, I got to have the microphone. I have to talk. So he gets up and he starts telling the, the dumbest snail jokes, <laughs> snail jokes, okay, that you have ever heard. And he tells the first one. And it goes over like a, a lead balloon. <laughs> Nobody laughs. And he goes, wow, that wasn't the reaction I expected. <laughs> he goes, you know, I could stop right now, but I won't. And he went on and told three more stupid snail jokes, you know. <laughs> and at the end, everybody stood up roaring. And that was Clark. He was so personable. And you you almost forgot what a, a Hall of Fame hockey player he was. Yep. You know, he was just that nice. And then and then the other you know thing that that he did, Pat LaFontaine had a, a, a rink in his backyard for many years. He lived up on the water in uh, in Lloyd Neck. Mm-hmm. And he had a he had a rink. It was nicknamed the Barn. And every year, right around this time of year, he would host what he called the Williams Lake Invitational. And Williams Lake was the lake in Michigan where Pat grew up. And he would invite four or five teams with, that were all manned by friends. Uh, and it would be, you know, they, when I say friends, I mean, he would have Brendan Shanahan, Glenn Anderson, Benny Hogue, Steve Webb, Clark Gillies, Bobby Nystrom. And then that would be augmented by the Dennis Learys and Michael J. Fox. And Paul wow. Gilfoy. It was like a, it was like a ridiculous grouping and then they all would play with what they call butchers bakers and candlestick makers just regular guys mm-hmm. and each team would put up money and uh and and then the winning team would win you know a uh, uh whatever the, the prize money was up that that the teams had put in and they all went to their charities so dennis leary had his firefighters michael fox parkinson's pat obviously his clarky mm-hmm. had his and and it was just a fun weekend. And the, the best part about it is Clarky was in his element. Yeah. He he was like a little kid playing on a on the pond, you know, back in Moose Jaw. Mm-hmm. And and he would he would get together at the end of the night, you know, your stomach muscles would hurt from laughing, not from <laughs> playing. And he would always he would always end it by, you know, saying, you know, this is this is what I miss about the game. He goes, you know, yeah, you want to win championships, and and that was incredible to have the crowd yelling your name, but it was always about the guys in the room, and yeah. and that made you really understand the core of who Clark was, you know, that he just he didn't care who you were if you had shared interests and you wanted to help charity, he he was your friend. And then he'd always ask, so so when are we doing this next year? Yeah. <laughs> Clark, let's get through this one, okay? <laughs> and then but he was that he was that kind of a person. Uh he was he, he he was just a friend to all. And and we're gonna miss him terribly. We we have a thing at Patty's golf outing every year <clears throat> where we have recognized, you know, Pat's been doing it now for I don't know, 17, 18 years. And we have a, a place uh, he hosted at Huntington Country Club. And just beyond the tee box 
at the 14th hole is uh, St. Pat's Cemetery. And his father-in-law and a lot of other friends of ours are, are buried there. So what we've done is we've created what we call Amen Corner. And we have photos of some of the, the guys that have supported us over the years who are no longer with us. And we have a little table set up and guys come through and have a toast. They have a shot and doff their cap towards the cemetery at the tea box and just salute our friends. Wow. And I have photos of every year. Clark was one of the first ones there to make sure that he was honoring those who had supported the charities because obviously a lot of the people supported both of their charities and it's crushing me to sit here and talk to you right now, Joe, and think that next year it's only going to be a photo of Clark that's there, not him. Uh, yeah, that's, you know, I, I will say this, the, one of the cool things about speaking with you today, and we we're speaking now for about almost 20 minutes, one of the really cool things that we, that we really didn't touch on, we really haven't talked much about Clark Gillies, the player. It's just about Clark Gillies, the person. And that's really, really what I was hoping for, you know? And, and uh, I mean, it's just, uh, like I say, I, I've said it, I said it on my last episode. I really want it. Uh, and I'm going to go into it more in my introduction to this one. Um, just really what, what he means to the community, what he means to so many people. And um, I guess the unfortunate thing is I think a lot of the stuff that he has done for decades off the ice because he was so humble about it, he kind of kept it quiet. Now you're starting to see people talk about it, and um, and I'm sure I'm sure he would be embarrassed, you know, with all the, the the not notoriety, but all the attention. Well, Clark Gillies did this. Clark Gillies did this, and I think there's a reason why he he, he kind of kept it quiet because he wasn't in it for the headlines. He wasn't in it for anything, and. Um, I said this to a friend of mine yesterday. I said, my impression of Clark Gillies is if, if you didn't know who he was and you were on a cross-country Amtrak with him, um, you could probably go the whole way, and I don't think he'd ever tell you, well, I'm a Hall of Fame hockey player. I have four Stanley Cup rings. No, I no, think no. He, he would just have the conversation with you like two people, and then you get off the train, and, and maybe a year down the road, you're like, oh, my God, that's the guy I was on the train with. I didn't know he was this. I didn't know he was that. Like, that just seems to be the impression I get because I met him like every other fan on Long Island. You meet him a handful of times. Never really had the opportunity to get to know him. But that's just the impression I get. He He's not about himself. It, you know, <laughs> he used his his platform. Like I know a lot of athletes and celebrities nowadays, they use their platform to spout their opinions and they don't really care what anyone else thinks. And, you know, I think, I think it's the generation maybe that, that Clark uh, grew up in and played in where you use your platform for something else, like what, what you and Patty are doing and what, what Clark did. I, I think he'd almost be embarrassed right now that all this stuff is coming out about him. Like he doesn't, he doesn't want, he doesn't want the thanks. He just, he was happy to do it. You're spot on. I, you know, he and he and Pat LaFontaine are very similar in that, you know, that these both of these guys were phenomenal hockey players. I mean, think about they're both in the Hockey Hall of Fame and you're right. They they were way better human beings than they were hockey players. And 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 both of them, you know, they're they're just that down to earth, that humble. And, you know, if it comes out after, you know, in Clark's case, you know, he would be very proud. 
one of the things I can tell you is is how enormously proud Clark was and how how moved he was at at uh, a couple of years ago at Pat's golf outing he recognized Clark for all of his work in the community and he had a little plaque and he said some really kind words about his former teammate and Clark didn't know that it was coming and he just broke down in tears and Clark was, was like sobbing that he was getting recognized for something that he just felt it was his obligation to do, to use his celebrity to help those in need. And and he stood there. I have this great photograph of him and Pat and you could see Clark's crying, you know, he yeah. just, he was so touched and he was a proud man. You know, there were people at, at certain points that, you know, questioned his hall of fame credentials. And I remember how proud he was of that. That was, you know, he, he never really showed that too often, mm-hmm. but you know, to those of us who knew him, I know how proud he was. And he should have been. Of I course. mean, my God, he was he was a force on the ice and he was he was an absolute critical part of that team winning championships. No question. And and, and you know, I, I, I dare to say in his prime, if you went to any general manager of thirty two teams in the league right now, they would they would do anything they could to try to trade for him because you know, he was, he was that much of a difference maker and it was a unique player, obviously, you know, he, he gave Trotz and boss an awful lot of room, (laughs) but he also gave a lot of room to everybody else. You know, Mm -hmm. people, people were not going to go and mess with Billy Carroll or, you know, Matt Salim either because they knew they were going to have to answer to the big fella Mm -hmm. and nobody wanted that. And, and as reluctant as he was to fight anybody, if you messed with one of his teammates, either Nystrom or Gillies was going to make you pet. Yep. yep. So, you know, when, when you see, and then, you know, obviously later on in life, he, he took all of that pride that he had as an athlete and he put it towards helping the community. And he is, he is, he was an enormously proud man. And I think he would be, I think he'd be very humbled by what people are saying about him today. But I also think he'd be just very proud to know that somebody, you know, understood what he was trying to do. And, and, and I'm sure his great wish is going to be that it continues on, even though they've lost their leader over the Gillies foundation. As I mentioned before, he's got some really good people, that I know personally, and they will, they will do whatever it's possible to maintain his legacy. And, and I'll tell you right now, Pat LaFontaine, myself and anybody else from the organization will continue to support them as long as we can, you know? Well, and Jim, it's funny, like I, you learn new things every day. And while we're chatting, my wife just sent me a text and she reminded me, I forgot about it. Her dad, who who passed away a while ago, her dad was a fireman in Oyster Bay, and he actually played against the Islanders. He played against Clark Gillies in one of those softball games that <laughs> uh, that we were uh, talking about. So, you know, it's like a whole small world thing here. And uh, uh, I know that you're you're a very busy guy, and I know this not about you and Patty, but could you take a minute and just um, talk about what you what patty and you were doing with companions and courage because i think it's a it's very important to get the word out there 
Well, I appreciate the opportunity to do that because, you know, Pat LaFontaine is, as I said, he's a remarkable person. And when he retired, he would go visit sick kids in the hospital and he was motivated by them. Uh, he would play video games with them and he felt that was the easiest way to break the ice. You know, how if you're playing hockey and, you know, how do you relate to some 10 year old kid in a hospital bed? And it was playing video games. So when he retired, he decided to create this foundation called Companions and Courage Foundation. And the objective was to build interactive game rooms in children's hospitals. Uh, to date, he's built 20 of them in children's hospitals throughout North America. And he's partnered with the NHL in some cities in conjunction with either winter classic games or uh, all-star games. But then he's also just worked with other great organizations and high net worth individuals to bring these rooms to pediatric patients. And the, and the feedback is phenomenal. I mean, every day we get great notices from people in the healthcare industry telling us what a difference, you know, or giving us a story about a kid that had a better experience because of what Pat did. And it just makes you realize that, when Pat was a kid, his mother told him, you know, she first started realizing that there might be something special with this one. He was <laughs> 15 or 16 years old and his teams were barnstorming across Canada and yeah. everybody talking about him. And she pulled him aside one day and she just said to him, if you are ever in a position to help somebody in need because of your celebrity, it's your obligation to do that. She didn't say it'd be nice if you did it, you know, you should do things and be good in the community. She said it's your obligation to help those in need. And he took that to heart. And, you know, to this day, he still does that. Obviously, in the last couple of years with the pandemic, even parents can't get into hospitals and see their kids. Right. So the lion's den rooms that Pat Bills have taken on even greater significance because it's a place where a kid can go and get their homework. It's a place where they can go and talk to their, you know, basketball team or their soccer team. It's a place where they can go and get, get homework assignments done and, and, and meet their families online. So uh, what we have kind of pivoted to as a foundation is we have partnered with Google and we've been providing hundreds of Chromebooks to hospitals throughout North America. And when we did that, that was obviously met with tremendous uh, feedback from the hospitals. Mm -hmm. And then we started creating content and we figured we needed to have uplifting, you know, content that was going to inspire kids to get well during these times of isolation. And we've, you know, come up with some incredible stories of people who have overcome and are now an inspiration. And we thought it was just going to be for the pediatric patients to enjoy. And to our great surprise, it's come back and it's everybody. And, uh, and, and, and a lot of the stories feature people that we met through the Island. You know, it's, we did a feature about radar, the dog that, uh, you know, was, was raised by, you know, through Islander fans, Jimmy Tubbs. And mm -hmm. he, uh, he, you know, his whole story in connection to the Islanders is pretty well documented. We did a another feature on Clinton Brown. Mm, Clinton yeah. Brown, Clinton. little person who 
you know, just is one of the most inspiring people that you'll ever meet. Mm -hmm. And we've, you know, we've incorporated, you know, friends and family into this. And, and in Pat's case, you know, it's just so easy. If he asks you to do something, you just do it, you know? Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm going to share my personal Palafontaine story because, uh, and I've shared this before and it really has nothing to do with me. It's just something that I witnessed. So um, back when the team practiced at Kaniac Park, I would go there after, uh, you know, I got out of college early, I'd go. And I was always there to see like Bomber and, and Mick and those guys and, you know, Sal. Um, and one day I go in the rink and there's more people there than I'd ever seen before. And everyone has balloons and presents and everything. And I'm like, what is going on here? I had no idea. Well, I, you know, practice is over. We all go outside, waiting outside. You know, I see, you know, Mickey and Bomber and those guys. And everyone is, like, congregating. I had no idea it was Patty's birthday. Uh-huh. And he came out. I always say, like, I don't think Pat realizes how good of a player he was because he came out and he saw all the people. And his eyes just got so wide. And he was just so overwhelmed. Like I could, you could see it in his face. He was so overwhelmed. And then as the people surrounded him, he just said, okay, listen, please do me a favor. Let's go to my car. Because obviously, <laughs> Jim, you had to see the stuff people brought for him. He goes, can we go to my car? And, and I, you know, basically without saying it, like, I'll make time for everybody. And I watched this massive humanity follow yeah. Pat to his car. And it was like one by one, he just took the time to speak with everybody you know obviously people wanted to give him things but it was and i go this is this guy's birthday you know obviously you know he wants to get home to his family you know it's not a game day just practice go home your family and i i stood there for like a half hour just in awe and then i eventually had to leave and he probably still had 100 people there waiting for him and he he took the time to speak to every single person on his own birthday that that made time to go see him and yep. you know you could talk about all his on ice accomplishments and the hall of fame and all this other stuff but that's the one thing i will always remember about him because i, I was just i was just floored and i always laughed just when he walked out he stopped and he just his eyes were wide as saucers and it was like he didn't expect it and he was so overwhelmed and and i always say that i, I you know look Everybody knows he's the best U.S.-born player ever in history of the game. Um, yeah. Me and a buddy of mine, Matt Nickerson, we go back and forth because he was actually uh, a Dallas Stars draft pick. So him and I go back and forth with Patty and Medano. But of I think course. deep down, Nickerson knows it's Patty. Um, okay. But just the off-ice stuff, that, that is one story I love telling because to me that just encapsulates Patty the human. That's it. I mean, you, you nailed it. And, you know, I think that, that part of him is the most important part of him. So he's, yeah, he was voted one of the top 100 players of all time. And I'm, I'm with you. I don't think, you know, obviously he's proud, but I, I think he reflects on his career as being a stepping stone. You know, he looks at it and says, well, yeah, you know, I had that talent that I could do this and I played a game that I loved and I met some great people but I was meant for bigger things. And, you know, when you really, I mean, at some point, I guess they'll do a, a real good book on him or a movie or something. Mm-hmm. The stories about him, 
that are like the one you just described yeah. are still remarkable. Yeah. Uh, but you know, this isn't about Pat today. Right. It's about I, yep. Yep. But, but I, I could tell you stories of things that he's done for people. And, you know, I, I look at him sometimes and I'm like, are, are you like a saint walking on? <laughs> earth? I mean, like, why am I even associated with you? Mm-hmm. You know, you, yeah. you, you, you make everybody around you look so much better because you're such a good human being. Yep. And, you know, and, and he has that impact and, you know, we're, listen, we're all blessed, you know, as we started out this whole conversation, you know, by what a crazy twist of fate, mm-hmm. he could have been in Detroit, right? Yep. Mm-hmm. And nobody here would have ever met him, mm-hmm. still would have been a Hall of Fame, top 100 player, but, you know, you know the story. Yeah. You know, Mr. Torrey made the trade yep. to get that draft pick out of Detroit. And or get get out of Colorado, yep. excuse me, and you know it turned into Pat. There's no doubt in my mind that he would have been in Detroit, mm-hmm. playing for his hometown team, oh, yeah. and nobody we would have never have had this influence here. Mm-hmm. And you know it's kind of kind of the same with Clark. You yep. know that that draft day when I, when I watch draft day now for the NHL, I come away with a whole different perspective about it. You know. Mm-hmm. Because I think about how the fortunes of an entire community could change mm-hmm. based on some eighteen-year-old kid getting drafted. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it, I think I think we started. You know, you veer off to Patty a little bit because of your involvement with the foundation, and just because him and Clark are very yeah. similar people, they're both very giving, and yeah. I, and I think it's it's easy to kind of veer a little bit when you talk about both those guys because you know what they've done in the community far outweighs what they did on the ice. True. And, and think about, think about that statement, right? The remarkable accomplishments that they both had on the ice pale in comparison to what they did for people and, and mostly people in Long Island community. And, you know, we could go into a whole conversation about, you know, the, the great work that is done by athletes and Mm -hmm. former athletes in our community. But I'll put Clarky and, and Patty up against anybody in terms of involvement and in terms of, you know, rallying support for causes that are important to people who live here. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Jim, I know when I originally approached you, I said probably 20 minutes or so. I, I know I've kept you longer and I know you're a busy guy. So uh, I will just say thank you. I really, it means the world to me that you took the time to talk to me today and uh, contribute to this episode. And uh, I know I'm small potatoes. I'm not uh, Joe Rogan or Paul Bissonette, but if there's ever any way that I can help, you know, companions encourage in any way, uh, please just let me know. I'm, I'm so happy to do so. Well, it's, you know, it's appreciated, you know, those friendships that we have run deep and uh, I'm just, uh, I'm thrilled that you remember those days of starting up in 329 <laughs> with the same love that I had for him. Because, you know, when I, every once in a while, I'll read a story about John Cooper having been a student at Hofstra and mm-hmm. up there. And I, I, it, it reminds me that you know, it's a pretty special time in all of our lives, and it's great to connect with you today. So thank you for giving me a chance to reflect on two of the greatest athletes I've ever played on Long Island. Oh, it was my pleasure, Jim, and uh, all the best with the foundation, all the best to you and your family, and uh, please send my regards to Patty. Yeah, we will do, for sure. Thanks, Joe. Thanks, Jim. Have a great day.
Bye bye. Bye now. Someone who has become a good friend over the last few years is Rod Peterson out in Regina. And uh, Rod is the longtime voice of the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. He's the longtime voice of the Regina Pats. And now Rod has a show uh, daily, Monday through Friday, on uh, YouTube, amongst other outlets, Game Plus Network, which we don't get here on Long Island, but you can see the show there. Uh, It airs from 12 to 2 every day here on Long Island. And um, Rod obviously has met Clark Gillies numerous times, and Rod on his show recently spoke about one of those times with uh, co-host and boss Darren DuPont, and uh, Rod was kind enough to allow me to use the audio from that show, and here it is. Clark Gillies passed away on Friday night. New York Islanders great, Regina Pats legend, the guy that doesn't need any introduction to you people, our viewers. And if you go read my Monday morning goalie column, it's up right now at rodpeterson.com. It's the top thing running. I have a point in there on Clark. And I'll just tell you what I wrote there. First time I ever laid eyes on Clark Gillies in person was the 25-year reunion of the Memorial Cup 1974 Regina Pats team. We were at the Flowing Springs Golf Club, northwest of Regina. We're all in the parking lot, putting on our golf shoes, getting ready to go. This Suburban rolls in. Clark Gillies gets out. Pressed red golf shirt, black slacks, shiny black leather loafers. How do you think? Just looking like a million bucks. Hair was still black, right? Grease back. Nobody needed to tell anybody that this is Clark Gillies. <laughs> you know what I mean? Everybody knew this was Clark. And if they didn't, they knew he Get was out. important. If you didn't know, yeah, beat it. This is a Pat's golf tournament, for God's sakes. But the, even in everybody just watched Clark as he walked into the clubhouse. Before long, it's psh, giving somebody a noogie, pushing somebody, you know, wrestling. That's Clark. Just fun, laughing uproariously. And then that touched off a whole weekend of fun and frivolity. He's just one of the guys. But God did not create us all equal. Sorry to tell you. Clark Gillies is a Hall of Famer in every sense of the word. I've done so many events with him, with Pat's alumni. And he always said that Memorial Cup championship meant so much to him. Not to say it's more than a Stanley Cup or his four Stanley Cups. But he's like, in my circles, Rod, a lot of guys got Stanley Cups. Not that many have Memorial Cups. Clark would always say that. And then Joe Lozito was at the game Saturday night at Long Island, sent me some photos from the Leafs and Islanders game. He said there wasn't a dry eye in the house. Flowers all over the Clark Gillies tribute in the Hall of Fame for the Islanders there. That one hit us all hard over the weekend. So condolences to the Gillies family, the Trumbly family. And uh, that was tough, man. He's just, he's just cool. I believe it was one of the last alumni uh, weekends that they had here for the Islanders. MSG uh, recorded some uh, sound bites, some interviews with uh, some of the players. I believe they called it Two on the Isle. And uh, they paired up guys with a connection to each other. I know they did some really, really funny ones with uh, Mick and Darius. Uh, they filmed Mike Bossy, Brian Trottier. I want to say... They also filmed John Tonelli and Butch Goring. And, of course, uh, they filmed Clark Gillies and Bobby Nystrom. And they got some really, really good uh, interviews, quick sound bites 
uh, from the guys. Uh, maybe the interviews was, were longer, but they, they broke them up into quick sound bites. Uh, and this one is one of my favorites. It's Clark Gillies and Bob Nystrom talking about uh, the Boston series with the famous uh, brawl that they had and uh, the famous uh, Gillies and O'Reilly fights. And just talking about really what may have been the igniter to uh, the events that took place going forward in that series. So here's the audio from that. Now said to us during the meeting, um, I don't care what you guys do outside that door. Mm -hmm. When you leave here, you can all go in different directions. I don't really give it, give it what you do. Yeah. But when you come through that door for practice or for a game, you've got to be willing to basically go through the wall for each other. Mm -hmm. And I think that's exactly what we had. I mean, uh, in my case, I, you know, I played with Trotch and Boss mm -hmm. for a span of about five years. Um, I was never once in Mike Bossy's house. I was... Really? I don't... What a I, jerk. I, yeah. <laughs> you didn't cook your pregame meal at least? I think I might have been in Trotch's house one time. And on the road, the two of those guys, they hung around together all the time. I, know, or I was I out with you guys, and, and yeah. that didn't matter to me. I didn't care. Yeah. I didn't have to hang around with these guys off the ice. But when we got in the locker room and on the ice, I literally killed for these two guys Yeah. if I had to. A couple of times I had to, but um, that's just the way our team was. And, and, yeah. and I'd go to war for you, and you'd go to war for me, and, and every guy on the team was just... 100% behind each other. Well, look at, I mean, the first year that we won the cup, we go into Boston, right? And, well, that's quite a story. You, you can tell that story also, but, but the fact is that, you know, they thought that they were going to run us out of the building, you know, yeah. and, and, you know, I mean, that, they related that to the Toronto series a year before, you know, where yeah. we lost to Toronto. But, you know, I think that that was just an amazing day when we, well, game when we played against them, but, but I think of the fight, of the brawl, and I think, you know, the fact that I was in the locker room already, right, and I heard this whole ruckus going on, and Gary Howard, Gary Howard walks in, and he has to hang from the rafters because his arms are so tight from fighting, and then Bobby Lorma walks in, and he's got a slash underneath his eye, I mean, he's just bleeding, right? And, and he walks in, and, yes, yes, this <laughs> and is And he awesome. says, don't worry about me, boys. This isn't going to slow me down yeah, one bit. No. Oh, no. it was amazing. Um, yeah, the story you were talking about is when we got into Boston the night before the first yeah, game. Yeah, yeah, we're sitting on We're the watching the 11 o'clock news, and the sports guy comes on and says, uh, the, anchor, the news anchor says uh, to the sports guy, hey, Bob, uh, what do you think of the Bruins-Islander series? And he goes, oh, the Bruins will intimidate the Islanders so badly that uh, that the Bruins will win in five games. The Islanders won't even be able to play. And that was when I thought you were going to go through the TV to kill the guy on TV. <laughs> to the surprise of most people, the first game was very quiet. I think there was yeah. two, two minor yeah. penalties. Yeah. We won in overtime, won nothing in overtime. <laughs> That's right, I did score that goal, didn't I? Yeah, yeah. I think I got yeah. an assist. Yeah, no, yeah, yeah. I think I, I think you passed that to me. Yeah, it's actually Butch, but good try. Um, and then the next night, the next day in the paper, the Bruin press were all over him. Right, the Bruins didn't right. play their game. Yeah. They were, yeah, 
they just they were just not the Boston Bruins last night. So they got them all fired up, and um, game two was a little bit different. Fortunately, the outcome was the same. We ended yeah. up winning two to one in overtime. Yeah, yeah. But that was when I I fought O'Reilly early in the first period, and and then I was fought him again at the end of the first period. And then you had a fight with Wensick. Yeah. I came in. You were already in the locker room. Yeah. That's when we heard the brawl start. Somehow the brawl started, and you were throwing your gear back on. You wanted to get back on the ice. <laughs> yeah. And I think I tackled you in the hallway because if you'd have gone back on the ice, you'd have never played another game in the playoffs. Yeah, but, yeah well, that's true. Um, but that was a real turning point for our team. Yeah. Next up is the man who needs no introduction to Islanders fans or hockey fight fans, and that is the all-time penalty minute king, Mick Vakoda. Um, if you're someone who listens to the show regularly, you know that uh, I did, uh, God, I don't know, 10 hours or so with Mick uh, early in the show's infancy. Uh, Mick, is, Mick is a really good friend, and uh, he has always given me the time when I've asked him to do the show. And um, I felt that Mick was very important to get on here to talk about Clark Gillies because you you can't talk about Islanders and Forcers going forward without mentioning Clark Gillies and without mentioning Mick Vakoda. So, um, so here's my chat with Mick. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, uh, a returning guest to the show, um, good friend, all-time Islander, penalty minute king, all-time Islander in general, and uh, someone I could just shoot the shit with for hours. As you all know, based on the uh, the three-part epic that we had, uh, although he n- needs no introduction, I uh, bring to you Mick Vakoda again. Mick, how's it going? Good, Joseph. How are you? Doing well, doing well. So, uh Always happy to uh, to connect with you and shoot the shit. Uh, unfortunately, uh, the reason why we are are connecting here is uh, the passing of Clark Gillies. But uh, what I hope to accomplish with this uh, with this episode is really kind of make it a celebration, you know. And uh, I've had some good conversations already with uh, Dave Chizowski, uh, Jim Johnson. I spoke to earlier, and uh, really just kind of just kind of celebrate the player and the person. And uh, I figured that would be something, uh, something right up your alley as uh, I'm sure you've had numerous uh, interactions with Clark. Yeah. I I mean, you know, my first real recollection is um, I guess it would be the 88, 89 season. um, Cause I was called up in 87 in the spring and stuck around till the playoffs but then the following season training camp, I made the team. And one of the events that the team has is a, uh, an Islander alum uh, promotional type, meet the sponsors, meet, you know, meet the money event at the Huntington Crescent Club, uh, a, golf, a golf day. And, uh, and Clark, he's a member at the Crescent Club. And so, I mean, I just made the Islanders. Mm. And I'd never played golf before. <laughs> so, but they had beer on the golf course. And I was like, oh no, this is, this is like right up my alley. Yeah. You, drink, you have some beers, you swing a few clubs. This is, yeah, it makes sense. Um, and then when you're done, uh, all the alumni are lined up and then the players walk through the line and, you know, you're introduced to every single alum uh, coach, you know, ex-player, manager, everything. And I get to Clark Gillies and I kind of seize up. <laughs> and it's not because I'm like in awe. 
it's because I grew up a Terry O'Reilly fan. <laughs> and I just remember him getting the best of Terry O in the in that playoff game at like where it looked like Clark had just had enough mm-hmm. and he was gonna make a point. Like this isn't gonna happen again. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And I, I, I kind of like, and Brent Sutter walked up to me. He goes, "What are you doing?" Because <laughs> Clarky's hands extended. Yeah. And I'm just staring at him, and I, I and I think Clarky thought, "Oh, hey, kid, I appreciate it." Meanwhile, I was like, "Dude, you, you beat my, my idol. Like, <laughs> you smashed him." Um. Anyways, I shook his hand, and uh, a long time later, I told him that, and I also got to tell Terry O oh, that story, <laughs> and he goes. I appreciate it, but you know, there's not much either of us could do. I mean, once he made up his mind, that was pretty much that's the way it was going to happen. Um, and it, it, after all that, like Clarky just grinned at me and smiled, and he goes, "You know what? He was one of the good guys." So yeah. I, I respect that you feel this way. And uh, and and after that, I mean, Clarky was a bear. You know, I, I'd see him. He lived in Huntington. I lived in Huntington for a while, and and. We would run into each other in the summers, um, usually at the golf course. And uh, he always, I, I mean, I, I, I've said this many times, and I'm sure many people have the same sentiment. He always made you feel special. Mm-hmm. Yep. yep. And regardless of, you know, who I was or, or who he, he was in the company of, um, I mean, he, he played on that celebrity golf tour, and one of the people that we knew in common was uh, Washington Redskins quarterback Mark Rippon, mm-hmm. um, who's from Spokane, Washington, where I played junior, and uh, and him and Clark, he talked about me. Oh, wow. And I was like, what? He's <laughs> like, yeah, Rippon loves you. He says, like, you were crazy, and I go, well, that I believe, however... <laughs> he's like, no, Rip was like, you used to go sit with his dad when you were suspended in games. Like you sat in the seats with his dad and, and Mark Rippon was a, you know, he wasn't a, a, a he was in a, a Cougar. I think at the mm-hmm. time, Washington state Cougar quarterback. It wasn't like he was an NFL star. Mm-hmm. His dad was a huge uh, hockey fan. And whenever I got suspended, I'd go sit with him because uh, he made me, uh, it, I didn't want to stand. And he loved talking about fighting. So mm-hmm. it was like, you know, we became good friends. Uh, but it was interesting that Clark would bring that back to me, you know, yeah. through all his experiences. Uh, I mean, are you trying to say you may have been suspended in the Western League? Yeah. <laughs> I know. I know. I've still, I found letters like a month ago. Maybe I told you about this from in my dad's briefcase about uh, Ed Chanel sending me a letter about the body slam. Yeah. That it would now be not, it, it would be considered a match penalty. <laughs> Because I smashed so many guys' heads on the mm-hmm. ice, yeah, that it was causing a problem. Apparently, <laughs> I was like, "Yeah, it, I don't know if anyone else figured out, but the hardest thing to hit somebody in the head it, it, with is a sheet of ice." True, very true. So, mm-hmm. uh, but yeah, no, um, Clarky brought that tail back, and I was just like, and and that that's the other thing about Clark was when he. When he decided to tell you a story, like you, there was nothing else re- more relevant mm-hmm. than listening to the tale, because it always ended up with either 
a hilarious, you know, ending or a significant point. Like there was something to that story that you just did not want to miss. He really had the gift of tale telling. And, and, you know, I would say 90% of it was, was in humor, Mm -hmm. but there was also an occasional like life lesson or a life skill. Um, And I think he was one of the first people that talked to me about uh, financial stuff. Mm -hmm. Right. So the, the post hockey. And I remember thinking like, God, I'm in the NHL. I'm making so much money. And he like (laughs) just giggled. And he's like, I think you're the lowest paid guy on the team. I was like, yeah, yeah. But, but listen, it's so much money. And he's like, no, man, I (laughs) listen. (laughs) And then he tells me this long drawn out story about some guy selling a mule and, you know, how he thought he yeah. was so rich and then he didn't have a mule and <laughs> yeah, you know, he had to carry everything. And I was like, Oh, yeah. I, I got you, Clarky. I got, I got you. So, I mean, yeah. for, for those of you who listened to the, the first three episodes that we did, didn't you learn anything from Dale Henry and Springfield about money? No. <laughs> I, I, well, cause I tripled my salary. Yeah. I, I, you know, I figured I'd covered all my bases, but um, no, yeah. So uh, I think that, that honestly, Joe, that was, that, that, that's like my one um, constant memory about Clarkie is like the kindness, uh, the sincerity, and then always like never feeling uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. You know, like, uh, I, I, I mean, it's not to disparage any players, but mm-hmm. there are, are guys that if you see them in a room that you hesitate, mm-hmm. right? You know, oh, they're talking to somebody. Like, Clark, you could literally walk up in the middle of a conversation and be like, hey, Clarky," and he'd, like, grab you by the shoulder. Hey, mm-hmm. Mick, what's going on? What are you up to? Like, I was the important topic for that moment. Mm-hmm. And it just, it, he, he did that with everyone. Mm-hmm. Like, it, it was truly, it, I was more sad about the thought of, um, the impact he has on so many people, mm-hmm. including his family. Yeah. You know? So I think that was my initial, uh, initial feeling and sense of, of sadness is that, you know, not like I'm going to, oh, it's too bad. He's, he, he's still young and he's so vibrant and it's really like the, the, it's what everybody else is going to miss. Mm-hmm. Um, and that says so much about him. Um, one of the things that uh, I want to ask you about is, and, and it's something that I learned a long time ago when I when I got to know a lot of you guys is um, the pride, the Canadian pride that uh, that you all feel like in your province or your small town. Now uh, you're from Saskatchewan, he's from Saskatchewan. So, do you remember? Is, do you have any memory of the first time where you may have heard about Clark Gillies when you were back at home? Because even though there's been a ton of Saskatchewan hockey players, he's got to be near the top of the list. He's a legend so i don't know do you ever remember hearing about him as a kid no i do and i remember watching you know uh the islanders in in that you know 80 84 era Mm -hmm. of dominance and him being you know from moose jaw Mm -hmm. and you know going to moose jaw (laughs) and playing uh youth hockey tournaments or you know midget tournaments and being like clark gillies is from here (laughs) and the thing about moose jaw is their arena was like underground Mm mm-hmm so it was this huge, like, sat, it's like kind of like the Saddle Dome in Calgary, mm-hmm. but it was like you walk downstairs to enter the arena. And I remember thinking, is like, 
is is that because like you're going underground to yeah. fight like you're going like you're going <laughs> underground like so uh, yeah but i knew who clark was uh and also the pats he played mm-hmm. junior for the regina pats and that yep. was uh the saskatoon blades uh biggest rivalry mm-hmm. um back then was the pats so yeah absolutely heard about him and and, the, and brian trache was a big part of that too um val marie saskatchewan mm-hmm. uh, so yeah you, you knew uh, and predominantly, like, for us growing up in Western Canada, you knew who every Western kid was, mm-hmm. whether he's from Saskatchewan or, you know, Alberta, British Columbia, Manitoba. You just knew who the Westerners were because you played, you, you were going to play against that team mm-hmm. if you ever made it to that level. Mm-hmm. So there definitely is significance to that. Now your I, I looked at the uh, the box scores before, and your rookie season was his last season in the league, and you didn't play you didn't play against Buffalo, and he didn't play against the Islanders. But just because you didn't play against each other, I'm wondering were you maybe recalled for any of the games against Buffalo? Um, and I'm wondering if you were, did you think uh, before you maybe found out he wasn't playing or you weren't playing, did it ever cross your mind that you guys might cross paths? No, no, never. Mm-hmm. No. And I think, I mean, I, I played against Nick Fatiu in the minors. Yeah. And I mean, it would take something incredible for me to be that, in my opinion, disrespectful. Mm-hmm. Or I, I got a, you know, you're trying to prove yourself, but there are plenty of other people that you can prove. I remember play, playing in New Haven and, and one of the guys on our team um, in Springy was you know, shaking down Nick Fatiu to try to get him to fight mm-hmm. a rookie. And I literally was like, God, there, there's like three other guys <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. that are, you know, like, it's just, isn't, there's gotta be some level of respect. Mm-hmm. And, and then with Clarkie, it was not just respect. It was like, I watched him break people's faces, yeah. you know, <laughs> like, uh, it, <laughs> it, maybe not, you know, mm-hmm. it, unless it was act, absolutely required. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah, I was wondering that because, you know, like it's the same thing. I mean, it's a story, any, any fight fan and, and enforcer knows, you know, there's always the, the old guard and the new gunslinger on the block. And, you know, like we, people talk about it with Probert all the time where he, he, he gave so many young guys a chance and obviously Proby fought a lot more than Clark. Um, but Clark would definitely be a measuring stick for anybody, but I agree with you. I didn't think it would be, uh, it would be something that, uh, you would, you would push the issue. Plus Buffalo always had guys like Hartman and McGuire and, uh, you know, they were, uh, they were probably more, um, they'd probably be more aggressive out there anyway. You know, Kevin McGuire was always a bit, he played a little nasty and stuff. So if anyone needed tuning up, it might've been one of those guys anyway. Clark probably just wanted to play the game at that point. Yeah. Yeah, no. And I, I think it was funny. I, I was <clears throat> so on YouTube, I'm, I'm scrolling through to see some of the tributes, some of the comments um, about Clark's passing. And it's an interview with Clark talking about the hospital fight. I don't know if, if you saw that you that interview. Um, I can't remember who it was with. Uh, and he talks about being in Buffalo and hospital are getting traded to or joining him in Buffalo. And Clark's like, Hey, you know, Ed's wife's not here. I'm going to ask Pam, his wife, Clark's wife. Can I, I'm going to invite him to dinner. She's like, absolutely. So he invites hospital to dinner 
and his one of his daughters is sitting there staring at Hospodar, and she literally goes, um, "Excuse me, Mister Hospodar," and he's like, "Yeah, honey." He, have you ever lost any of your teeth? <laughs> and he looks at Clark, and Clark's like, no, guy, Eddie, I had no idea. You know, they've had a couple glasses of wine. Yeah. He's like, I can't believe you put her up to that. <laughs> He's like, no, 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 I swear to God. So it's just like stuff like that where, you know, after everything Clark went through and he, he hey, Ed, your wife's not here. Come to my house. We'll make you dinner. Yep. Like th- that, that's the humility of Clark Gillies. Like it's just always thinking about the other person. Uh, and for those people who, who are not from Long Island and, and uh, for those of you listening to this entire episode, I bring this up with everybody that, that I've spoken to before. And I think you're the perfect person to ask this. And and we touched on something like this in, in our interview was, um, and you're, you're great for this because you were here for a long time. You're, you weren't born here, uh, but you were here for so long. You're beloved here. Still see Vakota jerseys at the Islander games. Now it's great to see. Uh, and you were a big part of the community. Um, could you, Try to put into words for someone who's not from Long Island why someone like Clark Gillies is so beloved. Oh, uh, I, I, you know, you know what I think it is, Joe. Like part of it, the initial, it's like having that, that guy, that you know, can do anything. You know, he can, he can fight, he can score, he can pick up things and move them. And he can walk into a room and he can make everybody laugh and, and he can make people feel good and smile. And then all of a sudden he's like, Hey, I just raised like $700,000. I'm going to donate it to the Huntington hospital Mm -hmm. and we're going to help improve the emergency ward or the children's section or, and then you show up at a, at an event and he's with the kids mm-hmm. you know all the guys are in the clubhouse and having to be clarky's out there with the kids talking i mean it, it's his persona literally is larger than life mm-hmm. and his outlook on on how he made people feel without intending to just that's his infectious mm-hmm. that's his that's the way he interacted was making you feel special um is is unlike any other person that i i, I know it, it was truly unique yeah i mean it seems to be there it's great and and with everyone i've spoken to so far it's awesome because it seems like more of the comments from from guys like you it, it's really not about the on ice stuff. It really becomes the off ice stuff. And, um, you know, the on ice stuff is always going to be there for people to see on YouTube and, and things like that. But the, the people, like you said earlier, the people that he's touched it, you can't even measure that. I don't know if there's a number that high that when, uh, when word got around here the other night that he had passed, you just think about all the lives that he's touched. And, um, you know, it's just immeasurable, and and I'm really happy that you would take the time to talk to me about him because uh, I think people need to need to hear the fact that yeah, he's a Hall of Famer, and um, you know, he's one of the baddest dudes to ever play the game, and he's a four-time Stanley Cup champion. But you know, what he did off the ice is even more important than all that stuff. 
Yeah, I absolutely agree. And I mean, one of the two jerseys I have framed in, in my home are him and, you know, his and Bobby Nice. Mm-hmm. And it, it, they are similar in sincerity and kindness. And I'm sure Bobby Nye is rocked. Yeah. Um, because I, he, I know how much he looked up to Clark and, you know, <clears throat> some of the YouTube tributes I went through, you see the two of them on the ice, you know, it was bossy, Trottier, Clarky, you know, for the most part. Mm-hmm. But I remember Al putting Nye and Gary Howitt together mm-hmm. every now and then. Mm-hmm. And Clarky going, like, Howie <laughs> was crazy. Yes. Like, I knew there was, I, I, would, I, I was like, all right, I'll grab somebody, but there's no chance because <laughs> Howie was like, you couldn't get there fast enough. <laughs> yeah. You know, yep. and, and I just, it, it's the character, the personalities, it's the friendships that I loved hearing about Clark um, from his teammates, that every person from Ed Westfall, you know, all the way to, to, to Brian Trotchery, all had the same respect and admiration for Clarky as a person, not just as a, you know, big brother, as the protector. And, uh, that says a lot. I don't know of a better way to maybe uh, to end this, uh, unless you have anything else. But I think uh, I think you've said said enough, and you've said it all. Yeah, no, I appreciate you asking me to take the time to reflect on Clark because no. uh, pretty I, pretty amazing. Yeah, I appreciate you taking the time. Uh, I know you're a busy dude, and uh, uh, you know I, I uh, you know I always appreciate everything. So uh, hopefully, there's a there's an alumni weekend this year and we can, uh, we can hook up. That'd be great, Joe. Thanks, bud. All right, Mick, take care. Thanks a lot. You as well. All right. Bye now. Bye-bye. The last interview I want to bring you today is ironically the first one that I did out of the four interviews that I've brought to you today. And, uh, I've recorded this lead in a few times, but I'm going to, I've decided I'm just going to keep it really simple. Uh, This is an interview I did with Dave Chazowski. Instead of me talking about it, I'm just going to let you listen to it because um, it's it's pretty amazing. So uh, enjoy. Ladies and gentlemen, we're going to we're going to start this Clark Gillies tribute episode with uh, with a returning guest to the show. One of my favorite people. I always say, and he's probably sick of me saying it, every time I see a picture of this guy, he just makes me smile. I always think of him as that goofy 18-year-old kid from the draft, even though I think I'm only a year older than him, but uh, I always call him kid. Um, And uh, someone who will forever be intertwined with Clark Gillies because of the uniform number. And uh, I want to thank Chizzer, Dave Chizowski, for uh, returning to the show today uh, to just chat for a little bit about uh, Clark Gillies. So uh, how's it going, Dave? Good morning, Joe. It's going uh, all things considered. It's going okay. Yeah, tough week for uh, for us Islander fans. Yeah, this is uh, this was bad. Like we were just chatting uh, right before we started recording. Uh, you know that obviously Clark Gillies, he's a legend here, uh, legend everywhere in the world of hockey, a, a Long Island legend for everything he's done uh, off the ice. But a day before Clark Gillies, we got the news about Randy Boyd, and that I think was a shock to a lot of people also. So, so yeah, this has been uh, this has been a tough week uh, for Islander Nation and and for the hockey community, and uh, and I hope what they always say that uh, things like this happen in threes. I hope that uh, it does not happen in threes this time. 
Yeah, Joe, it's one of those things. And, uh, you know, whether we like it or not, we're all starting to get older and, um, the world is, uh, the world is, is a, a little bit messed up right now. And unfortunately there's still things like cancer and, and fatal diseases that exist. And it's just sad as, yeah. as we get older, these things creep into our lives. And it's, uh, it was an unfortunate week for, for, like I said, us, uh, Islander fans and, uh, sad for, for a lot of families. Yeah, so uh, the one thing I, I want to do with this episode is, uh, you know, I want to kind of make it um, like a celebration. And uh, for those of you who, who heard my episode with Dave, uh, he's got a great story about the, the jersey number, and we're going to rehash that, uh, you know. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I mean Clark Gillies, he's, he's brought joy to so many people, uh, dare I say hundreds of thousands of people here on Long Island. And, and for a lot of those people, people who may have never actually seen him play that, you know, maybe he just lives on in those classic games that they, they put on TV all the time or uh, for someone like myself and, and for Andrew, we have children now we could tell them about uh you know what what a great player he was and what a great person he was so uh so that's why I, when i reach out to everybody like yourself i said let's make this a let's make this a celebration so um for an alberta kid uh the islanders back when you were growing up because like i said we're about the same age uh i don't think a lot of people realize just how big the islanders were out in western canada can you talk a little bit about that yeah, it's funny you ask that, Joe. I mean, and, 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 you know, not to mention the fact that I got to, to meet Clarkie later on, but since I was a kid growing up, I probably watched Clark Gillies and, and the Islanders more than any other team in yeah. the NHL that came through, that came through Edmonton uh, to play against the Oilers. And I was a young kid that uh, my dad had season tickets and I worked at a sports store across the street, probably since I was 12, 13 years old. And, uh, I, I remember the Islander rivalries like they were yesterday and, and, and they were bloodbaths and, and Clark Gillies and Bobby Nye and, you know, you know, Boston trots were a huge part of it, but those guys were, uh, they, they were, a uh, they were a menace on the ice. And, you know, we had Dave Semenko and we had Kurt Brackenbrain. We had some, you know, Dave Lumley, but to be honest with you, I put my money on Clarky and Bobby <laughs> and I, uh, over these guys. And, and I was a diehard order fan, but it was probably in my mind, one of the most intense, uh, rivalries in, uh, I've ever seen in sports. And, and to be honest with you, it was a rivalry, not just, uh, you know, between bossy trots and Gretzky and Curry and, you know, Kapotvin and coffee. And it was, it was just a battle like Clarky faced and Bobby and I faced against guys like, Dave Semenko, who was, you know, ultimately one of the toughest players to ever play in the NHL. And he also scored 20 goals, you know, in some of those years. So there was a battle between, you know, there's so many battles within the battle. You know, we always say there's a game within the game. And and uh, those rivalries that I got to and was fortunate enough to watch, you know, starting at the young age uh, that I was and right into, you know, being become a, a part of that dynasty was just a, it was a transformation and a, and a part of my life that I'll never forget. Yeah, I, I think part of the reason why um, the Islanders had such a following uh, out was like <coughs> to say, you're in Alberta, Islanders, Oilers, you know, meet in the cup finals, you know, twice. Uh, but I think with uh, Jerry Eamon being one of the head scouts, always a lot of the, uh, the Western kids uh, ended up, you know, as you would know, getting drafted by the Islanders. And I think uh, with the communities out West, I think they're very tight knit communities. So if you have a kid from a small town drafted by the Islanders, all of a sudden 
that whole town, they're all Islander fans now. And it always seemed like, um, you know, whether I'd speak to you or Dean Ewan or guys like that, all you guys around the same age, you know, within four or five year age, age gap, all Islander fans. And, uh, and I think that, I think that's actually pretty cool because not only is it, is it because you may have known someone or, or, or like you, for instance, your friends and family, I'm sure once you got drafted, everyone kind of focused on the Islanders, even though you're an oiler country, uh, but even the small towns like, um, you know, Clark's from Moose Jaw, a lot of the, the Sasky, uh, Sasky people in the small towns all of a sudden focused on the Islanders. So I think it's actually kind of cool. The fact that if you look at the map of North America, of course, we're on Long Island, we're on the extreme right side. And then you guys up on the upper left side, it's a lot of that's Islander country too, no matter who the home teams are. Hundred percent, Joe, and 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 even on on top of all that, like I grew up playing for the Kamloops Blazers in the Western League, and one of our biggest rivals, very similar to the Oiler Islander rivalry, was the Medicine Hat Tigers, who we went to the finals with, and they won the Memorial Cup back to back, just like the Islanders won the Stanley Cup. Medicine Hat won the Memorial Cup back to back, and they beat us in the finals to get there. And and ironically, I ended up becoming and still is close to friends with you know guys like Dean Chenoweth and and uh and and Trevor Linden and Mark Fitzpatrick and Robbie DeMaio and Dale Kushner and Wayne McBean yeah. like it was just an enormous amount of guys that were drafted and like you said Tex loved his Western Hockey League guys from out west mm. And there's so many guys, you know, Clarky being from in, in Regina getting drafted. And there's so many players that were drafted by the Islanders in a, in a chunk back then, Dale Henry. Um, it's just, it, it's crazy. And, and we became really close and, and ironically, you know, with Richie Pilon, you drive into, uh, his little town of St. Louis, Saskatchewan, it says home of Rich Pilon and it had the New York Islanders logo on the front of it. Yeah. So it, it, it's pretty cool. And, and everybody knows, um, uh, you know, who the Islander guys were. Uh, now Matty Barzell's made a big splash out yeah. west again to bring back Islander country, uh, which has been great to see. I see, you know, I love seeing, uh, watching the games and seeing Barzell jerseys. And I know there's a lot of them in the lower mainland where he's from, which yeah. is great. So it's an ongoing connection and, and it always will be. And we'll ever, you know, uh, like every diehard, we'll always have a piece of the Islanders in our, uh, in our heart. So, as I said, you and Clark will forever be intertwined by the number nine. Uh, but for, for those of you who, who may not uh, be old enough to remember uh, when Dave first started in the exhibition seasons, you were wearing number 89, of course, the year that you were drafted. Um, and then you had a conversation with a member of the Islanders equipment staff about possibly changing your number. So, uh, and I know you told the story on our original episode and I really urge people to go listen to that because, um, that was Dave, you were an amazing guest and, uh, I urge people to go back and listen to it. But for those of you who just want the, um, the story about the uniform number, can you tell us that story again? Yeah, absolutely. And, and I, I did, we were like, everybody always did. They had their draft number was the year of the draft. And when I got drafted in 89, um, Another guy in the league at the time, Alexander McGillney, was wearing 89. And, and we weren't fond of the Russians a whole yeah. lot. My <laughs> <clears throat> and I remember Jimmy Pickard, God bless his soul, had yeah. uh, come up to me after training camp. or It might have been in, in the middle of training camp or right at the end of training camp. He says, you're not wearing that number anymore. And I go, what? <laughs> 
And, uh, you know, I had, I had met Clarkey a couple times briefly. I think he came to our first golf tournament on Long Island we had. Um, and I, you know, I was fortunate enough to meet him and say hi to him and shake the big man's hand. And, uh, pick said to me one day, he just said, you're, you're changing numbers. And I talked to my good buddy Clarkey and we think that it's time for us to take that number out of the rafters and give it to you. And I'm like, wow. <laughs> you know, I mean, I, at the time I was, I was extremely honored and, and appreciated it. And I keep in mind, I was exciting. Nobody, I didn't think anybody ever was allowed to wear any high numbers except for Wayne Gretzky in those days. Yeah. <clears throat> so, excuse me. So for me to be wearing a number 89, it was like, it was a little bit, uh, it, it was just uncommon. And, and I didn't, uh, I didn't want to be that eccentric, flamboyant, whatever type of, of a, of a, of a hockey player. And, you know, Alexander McGillney was an, a, an extremely exciting player to watch. Yeah. Um, he was dynamic. He was, he was a phenomenal hockey player, but it wasn't me. And, and when, when I had, uh, when I sat and picked, I'll never forget the day we were in his equipment room and it was just him and I, and I keep in mind, I loved hanging out with pick and mm-hmm. I always find it interesting in the stick room and the skate room. And I'd sharpen skates with them. I just loved those things. And pick was a, a real good friend of mine and I trusted him. And, and he said, you're wearing number nine. I talked to Clarkie and, and, uh, we think it's time for you to, uh, to be your own self. And, and, um, you know, looking back, and I didn't talk about this, I don't think, on the first episode with you, but it'd be equivalent to them pulling, like, Gretzky, Coffee, Curry's number out mm-hmm. of the rafters yep. right mm-hmm. now. You know, it's just something. And, and and when, you know, I'll be honest with you, when, when uh, huh. when, uh, Sorry, Joe. No, don't. No, please, please take when your I, time. When I heard uh, when I heard the news about Clarkie, you know, I thought about how the whole number story, and it was hard, you know. And I wasn't nearly as close to him, but I had this bond. I felt that he. Uh, <laughs> fuck, Joe. No, no, man. No, it's okay, man. It's okay. I had this bond, you know, and I, I look at, I look at all the, uh, articles and stories and they keep posting a lot of the pictures of his number nine mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's, uh, it brings back some, you know, some pretty, pretty cool memories for me. Yeah. But unfortunately it had to happen in a, in a sad way, Yeah, you know, and, and that's the, that's the reality that, you know, life is so funny and. And I, th- and, and here's the good part. I think about all the good things mm-hmm. from, from the Islanders, not the threats of the Jersey and how much I <laughs> thought I disappointed people. And, yeah. you know, and I, uh, I'll be honest with you. I always wanted to, I always wanted to reach out to Clarkie and, and kind of apologize to him for not fulfilling a, uh, an obligation I felt I had to, to be better and to play better and represent that Jersey you know, in a, in a better way. 
and uh, I might have to I might have to reach out to his wife and apologize to her. <laughs> well, I, I could tell you. I think if you reached out to him in person and you said that, he'd probably smack you in the head and say, "What are you talking about?" You know, like you know. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure he would be that way. No, man, that was. Yeah. So that and it and it's that that's the thing and and here's the cool part and you talk about this all being a celebration is I I knew Clark in a very very small way I knew and saw like everybody did when they first meet him how big his heart was yeah but I, I, the really coolest part of this whole thing right now and and I always try and take the positive out of everything yeah I've learned more about Clark in the last forty eight hours and what he did off the ice and after he retired mm-hmm. than I ever knew. And, you know, I read about Mary Lemieux uh, kind of sent something out on social media about how much Clark he affected him and his uh, and his foundation that he runs and how much Clark he supported that. And, and these are just few stories that we're starting to read. I can't imagine how much of an impact he had on 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 others that we don't even know about and he wasn't a he wasn't a bragging type of guy he wasn't the type of guy i don't think that was telling the world what he's doing he was just doing it yep. yeah <laughs> you know and that's pretty cool and and you're actually I, I think the perfect person that that i can ask this of because um i i say this all the time and i said it in my last episode that uh, you know i wanted to do this episode now and, and i think for people who aren't from long island they don't really understand what the, the team means to the fans because people on the outside they say oh new york islanders and now new york has a bunch of teams here you know islanders rangers yankees mets jets giants you know knicks and and for an outsider it just becomes another new york team but for for people you've been here on long island you played here but you've also been in kamloops you know what these teams mean to a small community and in kamloops the, the blazers are it and obviously long island is not necessarily a small community but we've always been kind of like as far as the islanders go uh the little brother to the big brother new york rangers and i, I think if you're not from here the the impact that the islanders have on the community i just really don't think you understand unless you've experienced it firsthand absolutely joe and and that's the <coughs> part of me that's the kind of the coolest part i i yeah there's there's a few there's a few hot and i don't i'm going to just speak on behalf of hockey clubs there's a few hockey teams in the world that have a history and a camaraderie and some special bond. Um, I know the Edmonton Oilers are one of them, and I believe, I strongly believe that the New York Islanders taught them about it and showed them how to be a team. And and the Islanders, to, to, for, as, as far as I will ever remember, one of the closest-knit teams in the entire world. Uh, and and I, I think I told these stories before. Brian Trotche brought me into his house, gave me his car in training camp, you know, Patty would have me over for dinner all the time and Maribeth would cook all the time. And, and I, you know, I actually talked to Kinger the other day and, and, uh, you know, I had a long conversation with Kinger and we just kind of bullshit and catching up. And, uh, you know, I think I told this, I can't remember if I told this story about Burge's hat and I cut his hat and <laughs> I finally, I finally came clean and told Burge like the last year and I was texting him and told him the story and I said I was so scared and these are, these are just little things. I talked to Richie, Richie Pilon and I were texting the other night. Our kids were playing against each other 
Yeah. Um, Garrett's playing for Washington's farm team and my son's playing with the Marlies in Toronto and I'm texting them and, and, and G's on the TV and I'm texting Richie and I'm like, like, these are, these are bonds that'll, they just, they almost they continue on. And, you know, my oldest boy is friends with Garrett. Uh, they played with each other and it, it's kind of cool when you see their dads played with each other yeah. and, uh, the, the, the bond that, that, you know, we'll have Chinny and I text still, it's just, these are things that'll go on for forever. And I strongly believe that the, the Islanders, uh, I don't think it was intentional. It was just a part of the culture and it taught you how to be close to your teammates. And that transpired into winning Stanley cups. <laughs> that's, that's a kind of Cole's notes version. And, you know, we wouldn't even be having this conversation if Patty wasn't so selfish and would have just given you 16 when you came to the Islanders. Am I right? Exactly. Yeah. The guy wouldn't exactly. give up his number. <clears throat> I think I offered to buy him dinner, too, and he turned me down. Yeah. You know? And even, you know, who I used to see, I haven't seen him for a long time, was Burt Marshall was, uh, you know, in our rink all the time, and, I know his health wasn't very good for a bit there. I don't even know how he's doing, but uh, he's, uh, you know, he's a guy that uh, was around for a long time. And we used to, I used to bullshit with him at games and we would talk about all the old Islanders and who he used to see. And it was kind of cool and reminiscent about those things. Yeah. I mean, this is, uh, you know, when, when I, when I first started doing the show, like I, I always said, uh, you know, the cool thing about it will be to bring your stories to life. And, uh, you know, especially for people maybe who don't know the inside story or people who are too young to have seen you guys play. And selfishly, it also gave me a chance to reconnect with so many of you guys and just and just chat and talk about the stories. And, you know, maybe I bring up something that jogs your memory or you bring up something that jog, jogs my memory. And, uh, you know, it's conversations like this that that really keep me going with the show, because this is uh I mean, you're always one of my favorite people to speak to anyway, because all we end up doing is laughing our asses off. But, uh, <laughs> exactly. but this is, uh, you know, this this was great. And, um, you know, I, I, I'll i ask you if you have anything else about Clarkie, but this has been phenomenal. So, uh, but we'll, no, no, we'll end not it there if you don't have like, anything. Like, honestly, Joe, like I said, I, I now I'm, now I'm like a, uh, I'm on a, like a man on a mission trying to read more about Clarky because I love all the stories that are pouring in what he did, who he helped. Yeah. Um, I think it's fantastic. It's, it's, it's sad. Uh, you know, his, I saw his family, his, I think it was his daughter tweeted something yes, out. And yes. You know what? It's just, uh, it's sad. He was too young and everybody said it. And, and you know what? That's why you got to celebrate life. Like to every day is your last day. And, and that's just this world, <laughs> world yeah. is messed up. World is messed up right now. <laughs> yeah. I don't get it. Yeah. I, I honestly believe there's a purpose and, and everything happens for a reason. And, you know, you just got to enjoy our time on earth while we're here. And you know what? We lost Darkie and, and Randy Boyd this week. And, yeah. uh, he's, he's with, uh, he's with, uh, Mr. McPherson now up in heaven. And that's, yeah. there'll be a, there'll be a pretty, there'll be a pretty tight knit group up there. I'll be honest with you that are oh, yeah. looking after each other. So, so Dave, just, um, you know, one last time, I want to thank you again for, for joining me. I want to thank you. You know, I've thanked you a million times for coming on the first time. Thank you again for this because, uh, you know, obviously for anyone with ears that just listened to, to what you said, I mean, uh, obviously it came straight from the heart and, and, uh, it, I think it just speaks volumes about someone that 
you've never really had an extensive amount of time with personally, but just what he means to you. And I, I think your, your example and what you said today, you really speak for the masses. And uh, I just want to thank you again for coming on. Nope. Thank you, Joe. I appreciate it, buddy. All right, Dave, talk to you soon. Okay. Bye for now. And there you have it. Um, my small contribution to uh, a tribute to someone who meant so much to me as an Islanders fan, as a hockey fan, and uh, as a Clark Gillies fan. So um, I hope that you people enjoyed it. If um, if you did, if you enjoyed that and you enjoy the content, if you don't mind, if, uh, if you wouldn't mind, uh, please consider subscribing to the show. Uh, it's available on all major podcast podcast platforms. Look at me tripping over my words. Please consider subscribing to the show. It is available on all major podcast platforms. And also, if you have a moment, if you wouldn't mind liking, rating, and reviewing the show, it just gives the show uh, a little little greater visibility out there. Uh, you know, it's uh, we always uh, Darren, Alec, and myself always talk about being the mom and pop shows, and uh, you know, sometimes those mom and pop shows are a little more entertaining uh, than the uh, the Walmart shows. So, uh, so if you don't mind, maybe consider giving us a giving us a like and a subscription, and uh, and hopefully we deliver the goods. So, um, so with that, I just uh, yeah, um, yeah. Oh God. <laughs> Rest in peace, Clark Gillies, and uh, thank you for the memories.